If you've got more than two choices, take a step back and keep taking a step back until you've only got two choices. And then you just make the best choice that you believe is going to take you in the direction of your outcome. Do you know what I mean? So for me, again, it's quite interesting. I was speaking to someone about this and he asked, he asked the same thing. Why? Why do you keep saying turn left? And there's sort of two sorts of things. And again, like I said, I'm going to have to probably go into the fact that I'm a little bit strange here. Is that um, <laughs> someone drove in a lamppost out the front of my house when I was about eight or nine. 50 kilometers an hour straight in a lamppost. Did it on purpose. Mm. He, his missus come out of the car covered in blood. He come out of the car covered in blood. He was just stood there completely silent. She was screaming and carrying on saying he always does this. And I'll never forget he said, I just want to be free. Okay, so no. he was turning, he was driving into lampposts to try and kill himself. And obviously with me being whatever the hell I am, that term and that image linked to me as in he wants to be free. So to me, turn left, turn left, turn left. So for me, I always said the left choice is always the one that's the good one. The right choice is the sacrifice one. So to me, turn left. If I see turn left, I think I'm going to drive into the Yorkshire Dales. I'm going to go sleep in a tent. I'm going to go swim in a river. That's the freedom choice. Turning right requires sacrifice. I mean, that's the one that you have to make a sacrifice to get to the same, uh, potentially. To get to the same result. Correct. So I did. freedom. Exactly. Turning right might be, okay, look, there's Christmas coming up. There might be some schools that need a coach for Keithley Cougars. And that means I'm going to lose a couple of hours of my day during, or it might be Wednesday, for example, I've got to go, I've got to put my younger son in after school care on a Wednesday so I can get down the ground and spend some more hours down there. That's a turn right decision because I'm going to lose something that I want, but it will help me create the freedom on the other side because if I spend more time down Keithley Cougars, I mean, that small sacrifice of losing my time with him one day a week might make my team better, which means they might win more games, which means I might get more money, which means I've actually got more freedom. To turn left. To turn left. Welcome to the Mentality Podcast. We're recording at the incredible Wheatwood Hall Hotel Podcast Studio. This is a podcast that goes way beyond stigma. We talk about men's mental health and mindset. We encourage the type of conversation that will open you up to another way to live life, another way to see yourself and the world around you. If you are ready for that, you're in the right place. I'm Stevie Ward and I'm an ex professional rugby league player and captain and now I guess I'm a bit of a podcaster, speaker, actor, writer, entrepreneur. I'm still working all that out but at Mentality we help men take control of their mindset by teaching them to find purpose, resilience and what I believe is the new success, inner peace. That sounds good. If you want to start your journey with us, you can go to mentality.co.uk forward slash counselling. Mentality will help you change your mind. How you change your life, well, that's up to you. All right, so welcome to the Mentality Podcast. Today we have got Reese Lovegrove on the pod. We've got the Mentality Counselor. John Bell joining us. So I don't know what this podcast is going to turn into, but I think we're going to follow the intrigue, aren't we? I spoke a little bit to Reese recently, learning that we'd smashed into each other quite a lot of times um, in my early career. And now Reese is head coach of Keithley Cougars, where last year they won 20 out of 20. And from the conversations with Reese, I wanted to understand and learn just how they did that. And also what Reese does differently. 
And I told John about it and John was all over it. So basically this is a chat just to shoot the shit and see where we're at and see what you're doing, mate, and, and, and how you're getting on. How are you getting on? Yeah, not bad, mate. Not bad. Obviously, we've just um, just started the pre-season for the second year now for 2023. So a lot of the foundational stuff that we've been doing in regards to that mentality stuff that we did last night, we do something like each year called um, What, Why, How. Okay, mm -hmm. I think it's a big, big element to what we do for individual players is what they want to achieve, why they want to achieve it, and how they want to achieve it. Yeah. Obviously, the what and the how have to do with rugby usually. Do you mean I can be part of that? But the why it has to be some sort of emotional context because when the how gets difficult, you remember the why. You've got to remember why you're there, especially when you win and, and you're in professional sport. And it's not easy, do you mean? especially yeah. for my lads who are working all day. Yeah, and some of them are laying bricks, laying concrete all day, and then when it gets dark, they're coming down. That 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 why really has to be quite strong, and I think it also helps when it's optional. But we, we give opportunities for the players to stand up in a group and mm. tell the players why they're doing it, and then it can get pretty deep. I know last year there's a fair few tears flowing from some of the boys in the group, um, but we 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 just touched on that last night for the first time. Introduced some of the new players to that, so I think it was it was a good eye opener for them just to see that. It was subtly different to what other systems do. Um, yeah. We tend to try and put the person before the player. Yeah. So what's your journey been up to coaching then, Reese? Like, what what does it look like for you to get to where you are now at coach? Um, it, it's been pretty pretty interesting, actually, to be fair. Um, obviously, I, I, I'd come across 2007 to play for Old Car at 20. Um, I was never never really a rugby player. Do you know what I, mean? I was a Harry Potter what geek. Does, what does that mean? Do you know what I mean? I, unfortunately, I, I was a Harry Potter nerd. Do you know what I was physics, chemistry, um, advanced really? mathematics at school. Yeah, I just I never really liked rugby. I'm going to be brutally honest. I yeah. just happened to be good at it. Yeah. Um, and as you know, if you play rugby from a young age, it, it seems to be that your personality seems to get intrinsically linked to it being a rugby league player. And it's very difficult to separate the two. So mm -hmm. before I knew it, I was Reese Lovegrove, the rugby player, yeah. before anything else, and, and just got caught up in that, um, got caught up in all of it. And then at sort of 20, didn't want to borrow it anymore, not enough. Um, so I moved over here, played for OKR. Fell in love with footy again, if I'm honest. It was whole car, just a great place. Do you mean over in Hull, some great human yeah. beings. Played there for eight years. Um, then went to London Broncos, Bradford Bulls. By that stage, I started getting a lot more concussions. So probably some of my decision-making processes were mm. were hampered with that in, in reflection. But then I at Bradford, they went into administration, and that's sort of where the ship started sinking, I suppose, if you want to lose, use yeah. that one. So I had to quickly jump ship into a career to make sure the family's all right. And then sort of 18 months, two years after that, I, I managed to start picking up cones down at Keithley Cougars for Craig yeah. Lingard just for free. Just wanted to keep my foot in the door. Um, and then, yeah, well, that brought us all the way through to sort of what, three years now. It's been pretty crazy with COVID and all those bits and pieces, but that brings us sort of up to date. Yeah, wow. So why, why weren't you a rugby player then? I want to, I want to hear about that. John, what's uh, there about that? Um, I, I, I think the era that I came through the rugby league players were stereotypical. I mean, a, a lot of them were very similar. They 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 liked going to the races. They liked betting. They liked gambling. They liked the pokies. They liked drinking. They they were hooking up with birds. So they, they were doing. They were just young men, weren't they? Yeah. I mean, they're on good money. Whereas for me, I was I was a nerd. I mean, I didn't. I used to, and I was a massive introvert. Um, used to refuse to answer the phone when I was a kid. When I was at school, I used to turn my book vertically and write up the page so that people couldn't read my writing. So that if the teacher asked me to read out my work in class, I could refuse. And then if she tried to read it, she also couldn't read it. Yeah. So yeah, just, and then obviously you're going to throw someone like that into a room full of extroverts 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Who are really confident, really, really testosterone driven, very, very straight, very honest. And it just, just wasn't for me. Just really struggled really early. Um, Why did you do that Ryan thing then? What, what do you think that was? Uh, to, you just wanted all to remain with you. Yeah, I think I was just, I was petrified of people not liking the real me. Sure, yeah. I think probably if I look at it that way, Jermaine. So I used to really, really struggle interacting with people. And I've, I've done a little bit of work since then. We'll speak about it briefly yeah. before. I'm sure we'll get into it later, Jermaine. But to, to work out what those personality traits were. But at the time, in that era, you just kind of get called weird. Yeah, man, he's just a bit weird. Standard is there. Yeah, just a bit weird. Or that was just at the beginning of the ADHD, um, ADD. Mm. Started coming through, and people, oh, maybe this kid has that ADD type stuff. Do you mean? But obviously, my old man at the time, geez, you couldn't tell that. That do you mean? He'd have you up. Do you mean? He's like, no, don't. You're not going to label my son with anything like that type thing. So, so just sort of wore it, and and I was the sort of dude that would be sat around the back of the building, yeah, with um with headphones on, listening to Metallica. Do you mean? And then stuff like that. Do you mean? But but it was it was just interesting. Um, it was an interesting time, sort of. And like I loved high school. Do you mean? I loved high school that that time there. Met some some good humans. But but it was just it was difficult that transition from high school into full time. Mm. Do you mean? Because you go from a, a huge spectrum of personality at school. Do you mean you've got especially to a sports school? So you have got your rugby players, but you, then you got your athletes and you got your band geeks and you've got you got all those sorts of people. And and I could take what I wanted based on how I felt at the time. When you transition to rugby league, it's very homogenous. Yeah. Everyone's very similar. They've all got very similar out, outlooks on life. And, and if you don't quite fit, it was just it was just an interesting transition for me. It's really interesting that we talk about that. It, it sort of draws on quite a lot of what um, I talked about in my dissertation around vulnerability in rugby league. Um, I think there's a real cultural preoccupation with rugby league being something that you are, not something that you do. And I hear from yours a distinct story between the Reese, who outside of the game, into his Metallica, which personally I absolutely. Yeah, he was a Metallica. <laughs> um, this uh, young man, full of Id idiosyncrasies, full of quirks, full of foibles, full of unique ways of seeing the seeing the world, with a game like rugby league. So something must have. There must have been something about the game which made you walk out on that field, notwithstanding the fact that, from a cultural aspect, it wasn't who you were. It was something that you did. So why did you do it? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I was saying that I spoke to sort of after I retired with mum a little bit, you mean, when she was trying to work out why, but she felt quite bad afterwards. I think she realised that I'd never really liked playing footy. Do you know, I think I told her one night over a cup of tea, I would have been 27, 28. Um, and she really realised then that I didn't like it. And she took a bit of the blame on that. She, she yeah. kind of felt that she was the one facilitating that, which which is not right at all. That's not true at all, Jermaine. Obviously, I, there, were, there was pressures there to be a rugby league player, mm. but that was just because they, I'd, I'd managed to create that persona that I loved what I did. Um, mm. But I think probably for me, there's two parts where I loved the structure. I loved the ability to know that I didn't have to worry about what I was going to wear because so I was going to get given a uniform. Okay. I didn't have to worry about what time to be somewhere because it was preordained that I had to be there in the gym at 7.30. And I like that. And probably for someone who struggles historically interacting with people, it gave a social construct that was preconceived, if that makes sense. So like straight away, you're a rugby player, I'm a rugby player, so we're already connected. So when you meet someone completely neutrally, you've got to try and work that out. And it's in that gray area, that initial bit that I used to flat out not be able to get through. Do you remember? Because obviously, whether you call it empathy or the ability to understand people, I wasn't really born that way. 
you mean? So I don't really necessarily understand other people's feelings and that to a certain degree. Again, I've got into it later on about why that is, mm-hmm. but certainly at a younger age, when people would be able to walk into a room and just strike up, my, my brother was big for me in that. I mean, my brother was, I mean, Matty Lovegrove, I mean, good looking, everyone's mate, and he had the weird brother who was bigger than everyone. Do you know what I mean? So he was always my introduction to people. Do you know what I mean? So even things like you guys have World Book Day over here. Yeah. So you got to dress up, correct? Mm. And obviously, I'd never be out of my school uniform, ever. Never even wore a jumper, never wore trousers. Doesn't matter how cold, didn't matter how much it rained, I always wore the same T-shirt, same pair of shorts. So obviously, that's probably a precursor for being on the spectrum somewhere. But back then, you just got called weird. So I'll never forget, um, I'd some kid come up to me and give me loads of grief about not dressing up. My brother being my brother said, no, he is dressed up. He's, he's an undercover agent pretending to be a school student. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So I always had him for that. He's pretty beautiful sort of advocacy and support. Yeah. So, yeah. so and, and, and I remember the transition and then, like I said, my head works a bit weird, but I'll never forget we went down the local Miranda, it was called local mall, like Old Trafford Centre, and everyone used to stop us. Everyone used to go on a Thursday night as students, you know, everyone used to go. They're all kids were there on a Thursday night. And I'd always get stopped and I'd be stood there while everyone spoke to my brother. Oh, man, love growth, man, love growth, man. Love. And I'll never forget, I went there one day and someone stopped us and walked past Maddie and spoke to me. It was the first time anyone had ever done that. And they asked me about Cronulla. So I just signed for Cronulla. So I think maybe potentially me being that way is that, oh, people are recognizing me now because of who. Well, because of what I do. And that transition was obvious because from then on, Maddie was behind me and we were doing the same things, but it was reversed. It was the first time I probably ever interacted with people wow. as Reese Lovegrove. But unfortunately, probably for me at the time, that was linked intrinsically to Reese Lovegrove, the rugby league player, which probably stuck from then on, really. Do you have much recollection as to why you got to the point whereby a club like Cronulla would want to sign you in the first place? Because let's be honest about the game. Yeah. We've got to we've got to occupy a space of real rigid persistence and to determination to even be showing an exhibit in the skills yep. that a club would need for us to sign uh, signers. And so what I'm hearing is that you didn't particularly enjoy it, but something put you out on that field and something had you perform into a standard whereby a club would come along. Yeah, we're almost in paradox territory, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, whereby you're you're almost performing to a high standard. Uh, despite your best efforts. Yeah, yeah, and no, it, it was an interesting one. So, like, obviously, I was really gifted athletically as a kid. Do you mean, like, re- really, really athletically gifted? Everything was really quite easy for me trying to play rugby league. The transition was not difficult. Um, whether you want to be called, to be fair, my nickname at school is Manchild. Do you know what I mean? So, um, I, I was, I was, I pretty much looked like this at the age of 16. Okay. So, so that helped. Again, when I spoke about routine, it was quite interesting that, um, I, I like routine and I like habit. It's probably borderline detrimental at times. But at the time, drawing a circle on the wall with a piece of chalk and passing a footy ball at it, I could lose two or three hours. Mm. To me, it's the rhythm. It's just the same action again and again and again. It gave me a lot of peace. Do you mean, I used to be the same with everything, Do you mean, whether I was doing a puzzle or uh, randomly. You know how you draw the, the curved lines with straight lines? Yeah. Do you mean, I, I used to do that for fun. Just sit there and just draw them all over a page and things like that. Like that's just the way my brain works. So I think certainly when it comes to the ability of replication of practice, which makes people good. Yeah. I, I the the ability that I was athletic and I the mindset that if you told me to pass a ball at a wall for four hours, you'd go out, you'd go away and come back and I'd still be there. 
And I was just always that way, Jim. And I remember I got told to dig a hole from dad across the back garden, two feet deep, one foot wide. He went away and came back like five hours later and I was still digging and it dug like four meters past where I was meant to stop. But once I get in that rhythm, which again, that's if I'm honest, that's what they want in rugby league players. Do you mean? It's probably changing now. Do you mean? But back then, yeah. they wanted people that didn't ask questions. System, yeah, yeah. Systems. I mean, they talk about it all the time. I want someone that's going to run through that brick wall for me. Mm. Yeah. And obviously, I was probably all preordained to, to to fit that. But from a point of a player, not from a point of a human. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Do you know what I mean? So it just happened to be, and I, I had friends that were really quite frustrated that I played rugby league because mm. they felt that that ability to to progress or, or to con- continually rep things out to get good at things was wasted playing rugby league yeah. because they didn't they were, they were businessmen and, and they're really successful businessmen in their own right now um but back then they felt that if you didn't just do that passing the ball at a wall and if you only did that with your mass into something else. correct or doing something else um it, it might have had a different path do you know but but ultimately like i learned to love the game do you mean eventually it probably came almost too late i started falling in love with the game about 26 27 right once I'd had my kids and I think my my identity had established itself as a dad and, and, and as a partner and things like that. And obviously but then I got knocked out. What 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 was the moment where you you know, it sounds like you're really self aware now when you you sort of reconsidering where you were when you were younger, um, saying that you could be on the spectrum and stuff like what what was the moment or was the waking up moment for you to actually start looking into this and start trying to understand yourself more? Um I think I think probably for me, and I was I was joking about it last night. Like I said, we spoke about that what, why, how last night, and and obviously I I spoke about mine, and I was talking to one of the boys there, and Scott Morrell, if you know Scott, yeah. Morrell, obviously leads. He um he was big for me at Hulk Car, so I'll never forget the first day he called me Royce. So why he called me Royce? He said, "Is your split personality?" He said, you are two different people. He said, when you're fun and on your race, he said, but this bloke comes in every every two months or every three months. He said, you'll come in, you won't speak to a single person for a week. You'll come dead last in fitness. You'll miss all your tackles in the game and you'll just be. So he said, he calls it Royce. Do you know what I mean? And, and obviously, I remember, um, again, the way my head kind of works, I kind of link emotions with previous times that emotions come up so I can try and understand it. And, yeah. and that that uncomfortable feeling linked to something that I got told when I was about 17 playing for Cronulla and some, a friend of mine was studying psychology. She was mm-hmm. doing a teaching degree and she was studying psychology and um, she said, I'm reading this stuff about, it's called manic depressants. And she said, it's literally you. Oh. Everything they are saying, they're describing exactly what you are, which is a manic depressant become bipolar. Do you mean essentially um, transition into bipolar? So, so certainly for me, that was the first real time I thought, oh, maybe there is a very distinct difference here with with the sort of person that I was. And Scott Morrell was was big for me on that because the thing with Muzzer is that he doesn't really care about anything. Do you he's the most laid back European on the yeah. planet, and he way plays. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you mean? And, and for me, that was the Can't first time. Like this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And that was the first time that ever it had gone from being that just the tone, the cadence, oh, you're weird, mm-hmm. uh, you're a psycho. Do you remember? It was funny, like the weirdness actually seemed to have more resonance with me as a negative term than Muzzer just going, this bloke's a lunatic. Do you you, actually, for him to say that, you, you felt like this is actually something, this. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's not just that I'm dysfunctional or weird. It's yeah. actually, there's a pattern that's been picked up and 
medically sort of categorised, John will know more than me, but you actually felt like you had an explanation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And, and obviously once that triggered, I started looking at different things and I remembered obviously what I went through when I was a kid-ish. During, like my mum was very similar. Mm. And then I got speaking to other people and apparently it could be hereditary. Do you know what I mean? And they were like, okay, well, if your mum could have been, would she have been tested? I was like, oh, come on. And I wasn't even tested, let her mum. Do you know what I mean? Just, Even that, if we grow up around it, it's learned, it's learned habit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, nurture nature, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly, Jermaine. And, and, and I, again, I, I just remember it being that my brother was the emotional one and I wasn't. Mm-hmm. You know I mean? So like family dog would die. Nothing. No emotional response from me whatsoever. Jermaine, I had a school friend die. No emotional response whatsoever. But I always found it interesting, like, you know, when you leave school and everyone cries, mm. no emotional response whatsoever. But if I see someone else have an emotional response, I'll have one. Wow. But if I'm in isolation, nothing, no, no, zero. Okay. And I just found that. And again, when you're in a team environment yeah. and people have fallen over after they lose and I'm just walking around as if nothing's happened. Yeah. And or when someone scores a try and they're all yahooing and high five and I'm just walking around shaking people's hands. Yeah, man. Like, yeah, mate. It's it's just interesting. It was, really it was an interesting, interesting environment to be in, and it's interesting for it to be picked up by someone else as well. I said because we all sit with our own private shame, sense of inadequacy, sense of who we are, and I think we feel that keeping that to ourselves is the best point of survival or the best way in which we can sort of inhabit this world without making too much of a song and dance. And I think sometimes when the gig is up and someone else says, "Not only do I see you." but it's very much in the way in which you probably see yourself. Yeah. It's really quite exposing, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's the, it, that's the heart of shaming, but also at the heart of a lot of good and vulnerable connections. And it's clear that when Scott Morell said what he said to you, actually you saw it as a way of which you were identified as who you were. And actually you had a lot of respect for that. Yeah. But it is exposing. There's no doubt about it. When someone says, I see you yeah. and I see the fucking weirdness of you. Yeah. 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 That's that can be brutal, eh? Yeah, it was crazy. Do you remember? But one thing that Mazda does really, really, really well that I've noticed is that you know that he cares before he rips in you. And I think yeah. that's a context people get wrong. Mm-hmm. I think that's something like Paul Cook was really good for me. I remember, obviously, I signed a contract in 2007 and come over and it, it was, wasn't very much money. Mm-hmm. No, it wasn't very much money. And um, I had no furniture. I mean, so essentially I had a mattress. I was playing Super League and had a mattress on the floor mm. with no furniture, nothing else. And and I couldn't afford to have the rent for 12 months. So when I went back home, I used to try and time it so that my new house wouldn't start until I got back in November. Mm. So I wouldn't have to pay a month's rent. And Paul Cook used to let me, he said, oh, mate, you can throw your furniture in my garage for the month. And obviously I rocked up with me 20 quid barbecue and a mattress. And he's like, well, that's an Aussie in it. Yeah. It's the bar. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you mean he's like, where's, where's, where's all I have that barbecue pen. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I was pretty stereotypical back then. Um, but he was like, where's all your furniture? I was like, well, I don't, I don't have any. I don't have any money. Like, what do you want me to do? He said, oh my God. All right. Go on. So, but when I come back, couch, TV, bed, table, and he'd just gone and bought it all. Wow. Do you mean? And, and things like that. And again, that was big for me. Do you mean? Because, he was ostracized a little bit there at Hulk Hour at times when he made that transition. So he ended up sitting next to me, which you, as you well know, senior players don't sit next to young kids. That's not how that works. And me and him were tucked around the corner. Obviously me, because I don't like being around other people and him because he was ostracized anyway. So me and him used to sit next to each other. Um, but yeah, just, just hearing him talk 
to me about what he'd been through and how he'd made that transition and different things. And again, he wasn't vocal about stuff. Do you mean that wasn't his way? It was cookie. Do you mean? But again, having someone that was Paul Cook. Yeah. Do you mean? He was such yeah. a huge standing, just sat next to me all the time, just talking and also defending me about stuff. Do you mean? I, I'd come out of a thing and Morgs would chew me out for something. And he'd be like, did you ask this question? Did you ask this question? Did you ask that question? He's like, no, no. He said, do you ask anything? Yeah, <laughs> he's like, no, you know, you don't speak to you. No. This kind of cop it. So yeah, just things like that. So having those sorts of people around certainly helped. Um, mm -hmm. It made a big difference. Justin Morgan was good for me in that regard too. Like he recognised early that like tip sheets for me, I can't read like written writing if it's factual. Okay. So if it's not something that I can actually visually see, I really struggle with it. So when you're writing someone a tip sheet, I'm that reading it that many times I'm panicking because I'm not understanding what it is that I end up overplaying the game yeah. go out there fatigued so he ended up just telling me okay 50 involved today lovey so well what do you want me to do and I'd start breaking it down he said don't care just as long as you have 50 collisions with someone that's you done mm -hmm. and so that was hugely liberating for me someone who overanalyzed every single interaction with everyone just to see the number 50 oh sweet I can Come back to that. I can just do this however I want. You know? So I'd be flying around the field trying to make 50. And, and he would say, I'm only going to bring you off the bench for 40 minutes. There you go. You've got 50 collisions now. And the next week would be 55, 60, 65, 70. And literally, I'd just get a piece of paper with a number on it. Mm. And that was the transition for me between a fringe Super League guy to, to about three years later, playing probably the best, best year of my career when I got players, player, and all that sort of stuff. It was about mm. 23, 24. Loved it. Do you remember? For me, it was so simple. 70, 70, 70. I just run around hitting blocks. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Which is class for someone like me who doesn't really understand all the longer form conversations at times. It's a really interesting interview with Stephen Fry. He talks about his own bipolarity, talks about his diagnosis, his attempts to take his own life. And I, I, it was, it's just it's such a coincidence that we're talking today because it was on BBC4 the other night. It was an interview with Alan Yentob. And he to bring in a little bit of my own story I, I heard this in a, a version of this interview a long long time ago probably about 2008 that stuck with me and he talked about whether if someone could give him a magic wand and say I'm going to get rid of you your gift so to speak your diagnosis your bipolar what do you do and he, and he quoted in typical Stephen Fry form he quoted W.H. Auden which was take not my demons for you take my angels too now as a pretentious psychotherapist, I've now got that tattooed on my back, yeah. which it spoke a lot to me about the idea about uh, how we are perfectly imperfect yeah. and about there's a lot about me, there's a lot about all of us where if you take away the things that shame us that sometimes don't qualify us in, in our own eyes for love and connection, actually take away a lot of our curiosity and a lot of who we are. And Stephen Fry was asked that by Alan Yentob and he says, here's your magic wand, do you want to get rid of it? And he said, no. Yeah. Where do you sit on that? Yeah, 100% agree. I'm, I'm a big believer in now that I'm a little bit older, like on choice and, and you make your choices and then, and then you own the ramifications. And so, yeah, I wouldn't change a thing for the world because obviously I've got two kids out there playing footy, mm -hmm. um, passing to eat, passing the ball to each other out there in the hallway. And, and I always, I'm a big believer in that if you look at changing something, you might lose something that you wanted. Mm -hmm. and, and everything that I've got sat out there at the moment, all the sacrifice that I feel I've made things that I've gone through, I might not have been happy with, but when you look at it in the context of what you achieved with it, which for me of those two young men, Jim mm. or young men of 13 and 9, do you remember that's how I see them? Um, so no, I certainly wouldn't change anything for the world. Do you know, I wouldn't change anything in the world. What's he talking? Um, for, for me, I just, I'm very, people think I'm 
it's, it's interesting. Depending on which way you look, it's like viewing a mountain from two, two different directions. So some people think I'm an ultra control freak. Right. Other people think I'm the most laid back human being on the planet. So I've worked, what I've worked out now is I, I don't, I remove decision from a lot of stuff. So when I go to a coffee shop, I just always get a flat white. Every time I get a pizza, I get the same pizza from the same place. Every time I get a subway, I get the same subway from the same place. Every time I have tea, I have the same tea. So if I can't have that, I won't eat. If I can't do that, I won't drink. And again, okay. so again, so so if you're in there or you're attached to me and you and you try and convince me to like, I'll be one he's trying to have a cortado. Do you know what I mean? I'll start, leave it. start twitching. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because again, if, and it depends on what stage I'm in with me phase. If I'm in a mm. hyper stage, do you mean you, you're no chance? It's but, about know thyself, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. And then I think, so So for me, it's just about, so I, I try and control the areas of my life that will free up other bits. A good example is like I try and be, I try and shield a lot of this from my kids as much as possible. Because they've, fun enough, they've got two very different personalities. Okay. My eldest is very deep. And very thoughtful and very articulate and he thinks about absolutely everything which i had him at 22. so he got he was in that period of me trying to work out how to deal with the fact that scott morrell telling me that i was a psycho well, yeah. and playing first grade so everything was controlled mm -hmm. whereas i had hunter once i was already playing first grade and you're already on good money everything's a little bit more laid back do you mean oh do you mean the gas bill comes in a little bit over oh, it doesn't matter i'm already yeah, playing super yeah. league you just pay it Mm. And it's funny how much different their personalities are between the two. So like with, with Corey, the eldest, everything has a ramification. Every choice he makes, he can he's analyzing what the potential outcome of that is, and he's only 13, whereas the nine-year-old's the opposite. Do you, feel, do you feel like that's what, when you're talking about decisions and looking at the results of, of different decisions that you could make, it sometimes for me it gets overwhelming just in life, just generally in life about how to, how to be, what to say, what choices to make in terms of career and i'm i guess similar to to yourself and uh, you know and, and your lad i'd say i'm a deep thinker and i see so many different outcomes where you can sometimes be debilitating yeah. you know and it, it stops stops me living then yeah because i'm in a in a in a in a world of confusion yeah like is that is that similar like, yeah. how, how is it for you like why do you have to make those decisions instead of letting yourself go through life and make them too much? Like, what does it feel like for you? Yeah, yeah. So I suppose I come across a, a quote a couple of years ago that that changed the way I saw stuff. And once it's called, um, it's think deeply of simple things. It's by a, a mathematician called Arnold Ross. And it really resonated with me was you keep asking the question, why? When someone says, something, oh, why? Yeah. Oh, what if? about very simple stuff and, and that really helped me so like i again like when it, when it comes to overthinking analyzing everything if i limit things to simple things i can overanalyze it all day because i can think deeply of it. Mm. so i try and keep my life really simple do you know i really limit all the external type stuff do you mean like people think i'm a joke do you mean but none of this like these jeans are jake webster's this t-shirt's jake webster's my mobile phone's my team manager frank levy's yeah. Do you when yeah, you are bigger than Jay Webster. Yeah, I know. This is unlucky. Yeah, man, unlucky. This is the second paradox of the day. Yeah, is that possible? Yeah, how is that possible? Yeah. Do you mean because for me, I really limit my footprint. Like, like I'm, I suppose if I didn't have kids and that, you'd think I was like a hermit. Yeah. Do you mean because I probably wouldn't live in a house? Do you mean I'd be more than happy to sleep in a tent? Do you mean because I don't want to think about paying bills? Yeah. I don't, because, because then, like you said, I then go down the rabbit hole. Because I will like, analyze absolutely yeah, no, everything. It's better sometimes just not knowing it. Hundred percent. 
I feel like that. And I, I've been looking at Michael Singer a little bit. I don't know if any of you guys have heard of him, but he's a, basically a spiritual teacher. His book's called The Surrender Experiment and The Untethered Soul. And he talks a lot about this. And I watched a little bit of him yesterday and we're talking about, we're talking about midlife crisis in, in specific, but the main point was people start off not okay, right? They live, live in a life and they don't feel okay. So what they do is they create all these conditions in life the mortgage, the job, the promotion, you know, the responsibility of children, all these different things. And then these conditions become controlling mm. as conditions for them to feel okay. Yeah. But once it slips away and it disappears and, and things change, then those conditions are no longer working. You're not on top of them and you're not okay anyway. Yeah. But people get to the point where they realize I've done all this. And I've got all this stuff and all these different things that I live my life by and trying to maneuver and control, but I'm still not okay. Do you know? So it's like I spent time in the Hamptons flipping crazily enough, like a few, a few months ago. And you're staying in this 10 bedroom house and you're understanding the lives that these people live. Right. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't want that life. Because you still met unhappy people. You, didn't you? There's, there's unhappy people yeah. because they're thinking, how the fuck do I keep this going? And for their legacy, you know, if it's old money or if it, they're thinking, how do I continue? If I, I, I fail, if I don't keep this show, this flipping theater of materialism, cars, houses, all the, the, the swanky the sort of meals, I'm failing if I don't keep up to that standard, which is a lot of pressure in it. Yeah, man. Yeah. You know, you've got to feed the monkey. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, the biggest, the first mistake is getting the monkey. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm going to go down a quote rabbit hole, but it's, it's the whole uh, fight club thing. You know, the things you won't end up owning you. Mm. Suddenly we've, 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 we've created this infrastructure of, uh, absolutely needing to pay for things needed to, you know, ensure that how we are seen is a, a certain standard. They are all the things that have created this artifice of happiness. And I, uh, Dave Chappelle opens up one of his specials and obviously there's a, you know, Dave Chappelle, um, yeah, he, 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 he equally uh, enthralls and upsets depending yeah. on which side of, of different fences we fall. And certainly there's some of his, there's some of his stuff, which I, um, close, the question. Bone. close the bone and you don't have to, you know, the, one of the things about great comedies, you don't have to agree with it all. Yeah. Actually, you can be offended by yeah. it. He opens one of his specials and he talks about Anthony Bourdain. Mm. He says, we must never forget that Anthony Bourdain killed himself. Yeah. He said, this guy had the job of going around the world, visiting different places, mm. eating delicious food and hung himself. In, in, and, you know, it's absolutely true, but it does not matter about the artifice and the bullshittery of your life. If you are yeah. not connected to it and it's not within your value system mm. and it's not thinking deeply about this, the, the small stuff it's not it's not controlling that which we can control and letting everything else fly by yeah. ultimately you're still going to be outside your value system and you're still going to be sad yeah yeah, yeah. Cobain yeah. wrote the best album of the 1990s and yeah. he still shot himself yeah no, no, like, yeah <laughs> if never mind is a standard for being happy then we're all going to fail yeah ultimately he wasn't connected to to who and what he created enough to withstand his unhappiness mm. yeah no we i i speak to a few of my players about saying i, I just call it the illusion of choice mm. And I think there's so much information out there that people can't discern what the actual choice is. Mm. And that's where, like, I had a good chat with a, with a friend of mine recently. Um, came to me, like, really quite flustered about what to do in the next stage of his career. He had loads of opportunities coming in. And, and I was like, but if you start from a single thing and think deeply of it, I was like, what do you, what do you like doing? So I love being a dad. I went, sweet. 
So that that job's 20 grand more than that job. He went, yep. I said, sweet, I'm going to give you 20,000 pounds right now to not be a dad anymore. And I said, what would you say? He said, I'd tell you to stick it. He said, well, then why aren't you telling them? Because that's what that is. Yeah, if they're your non-negotiables. Do you mean they? Yeah, they yeah. And I and I think I think society as a whole at times can fabricate all this stuff that actually doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. And if and if you have singular stuff like like for me, my biggest personal thing is freedom. Freedom mm -hmm. to make as many choices as I can. Do you mean so for me, like when people say, "Oh, why don't you go get a job?" This is then I lose any reform of choice between nine and five because mm -hmm. I'm going to remove huge chunks of my life by what? So I'm going holiday once a year. I'd rather go get a coffee tomorrow morning if I want. My monkey feeding, isn't it? Yeah. 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 I mean, so like for me, like the ability to wake up in the morning and turn left. Mm. Do what I want. I could turn right. It's good, isn't it? I could not leave the house. I could leave the house at five. I could leave the house at six. I could leave the house at eight. And for me, I, I compare, I measure every choice against that singular fact. Do mm. you mean? So when someone goes, oh, did you watch the rugby on the weekend? It's like, nah, I didn't. Oh, it's on Sky Sports. And then I look at Sky Sports and it's, 79 quid a month or whatever it is. I think, oh, geez. do I want to start rugby game more than I want to turn left? Because <laughs> essentially, if I keep adding all those up, I, I can't turn left anymore. Do you I have to go get a job? What does turning left for you look like? What do you do? What well, do you do with your life? What, what, because you, you said that obviously you're trying to filter out decisions and, and choices, but you want the freedom to be able to make the choices. Yeah. So, what does, what does it look like? For yeah. You? So, it's, it's interesting. So, the way I look at stuff is if you've got more than two choices, take a step back. And keep taking a step back until you've only got two choices. And then you just make the best choice that you believe is going to take you in the direction of your outcome. Do you know what I mean? So for me, again, it's quite interesting. I was speaking to someone about this in ERC. He asked the same thing. Why? Why do you keep saying turn left? And there's sort of two sorts of things. And again, like I said, I'm going to have to probably go into the fact that I'm a little bit strange here. Is that um, <laughs> someone drove in a lamppost out the front of my house when I was about eight or nine. 50 kilometers an hour straight in a lamppost. Did it on purpose. Mm. He, his missus come out of the car covered in blood. He come out of the car covered in blood. He was just stood there completely silent. She was screaming and carrying on saying he always does this. And I'll never forget he said, I just want to be free. Okay, so no. he was turning, he was driving into lampposts to try and kill himself. And obviously with me being whatever the hell I am, that term and that image linked to me as in he wants to be free. So to me, turn left, turn left, turn left. So, so for me, I always said the left choice is always the one that's the good one. The right choice is the sacrifice one. Okay. So to me, turn left. If I see turn left, I think I'm going to drive into the Yorkshire Dales. I'm going to go sleep in a tent. I'm going to go swim in a river. That's the freedom choice. Turning right requires sacrifice. So, and that's the one that you have to make a sacrifice to get to the same, a potential. To get to the same result. Correct. So I did. freedom. Exactly. Okay. Do you know what I mean? So, so for me, for example, Turning right might be okay. Look, like it's going to be. I need a. There's Christmas coming up. There might be some schools that need a coach for Keithley Cougars, and that means I'm going to lose a couple of hours of my day during. Or it might be Wednesday, for example. I got to go. I got to put my younger son in after school care on a Wednesday so I can get down the ground and spend some more hours down there. That's a turn right decision because I'm going to lose something that I want, but it will help me create the freedom on the other side. Because if I spend more time down Keithley Cougars. I mean, that small sacrifice of losing my time with him one day a week might make my team better, which means they might win more games, which mm -hmm. means I might get more money, which means I've actually got more freedom. To turn left. To turn left. Yeah. So, I mean, if things are that so, do you mean everyone's been there that time when, you, when you're driving and you're putting the clutch in on the car 
mm. rolling down the hill to try and conserve energy, to try and conserve <laughs> petrol. Yeah. You know what I mean? And just things like that. So, so yeah. So I always try and do that. I mean, I always go, I always go back to the to a left or right decision. Just try and look at it that way. You just make the best choice you can based on the information that you have. Mm. I personally find that's made a huge difference for me. So many people get so caught up. Oh, I got this, 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 this. No, no, no. Take a step back then. And take a step back. Just a quick one. Mentality has an amazing counseling service. If you weren't aware already, we are meeting the needs of people. We're meeting the needs of people who want to speak to someone, who feel like they are ready to stop doing it tough, to stop doing it on their own. I think counseling comes in when you just feel like you don't know the way forward for yourself. I felt like that many, many times and I still get counseling because I feel in the future it's going to be a tool that everyone uses. Everyone in America already uses it and it's such a normal thing. We're just a little bit behind in the UK, but I believe that mentality and the message that we put out there will enable people to get the guidance that they need and to stop doing it so hard. It's a new movement and mentality counselling is there for you if you want to join in and make the most out of your life and stop being hampered by thoughts and feelings that you want to clear up. Go on to mentality.co.uk forward slash counselling to make a difference. Do you empathise with your players? It's funny this. So I literally obviously we were speaking about it earlier when I mm. went and uh, when, I, when it's, I've been saying, or not recently, but last year when I saw someone because um, I thought that there was an issue with my empathy. Yeah. And apparently there's not. Okay. Apparently my- I'll, I'll be surprised if there is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, um, he said, oh, we're going to do an empathy test. And sure enough, we- So is it, this is a psychiatrist or- Yeah. 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 And, and, and he told me to do something. So I went and did it. And he went, no, he said, your, your ability to empathize is off the chain. He said, your issue, he said, because you, since you don't understand situations, I've obviously taught myself to be able to massively understand what's going on so I can manipulate my personality to fit into pretty much any conversations. So like he started asking me about American politics. And I was like, oh, so he started rattling off loads of stuff. He said, why do you know about American politics? I said, because Donald Trump's the president. Loads of people are talking about Donald Trump. And if anyone's talking about Donald Trump, I can at least be part of the conversation. Jeremy, mm-hmm. I used to learn all these sorts of stuff just so I could fit in mm-hmm. the different sorts of people. So, so empathy-wise, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I think the one thing that the boys find quite ironic, and it got brought up last night, is that I can understand the way they feel, but I don't feel that. Do you know what I mean? So again, a lot of them come to me. What if, and again, I've noticed this a little bit more, but I used to try and be a character that I thought a coach should be. So 2021, yeah. it was, and, and what I found it come across probably slightly disingenuous. Yeah. Whereas last year, we had a huge amount more success, in my opinion, certainly for me as a coach, by just being me. Mm. Weird, weirdness and everything. Man, so when the boys come out and they, they, Jake Webster used to change the font because every spreadsheet I've got is num, um, size eight Calibre or whatever it is, and he'd like change one word to like Ariel, and I'd freak out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean? I'd freak out. And whereas I used to cover that up, but what I know that should that should be a chargeable crime. Hundred <laughs> percent for me, it should be. Yeah, but he knows Matthew, those Matthew. sorts of things annoy me. But what I noticed last year is by. We spoke about Scott Morrell before, mm. okay? By me showing that side to the players, they understood that if I hugged one of them, that meant something to me. Yeah. Because I don't like touching people. 
Mm. Do you know what I mean? So by me showing that I don't like that stuff actually added more value when I did it. Well, that's pure vulnerability. Yeah. That's pure openness. Yeah, yeah. I like that. And then like, to be fair, it even happened in Jamaica the other day. Um, James Woodburn Hall come up to me and put his arm around my neck. And I literally just went, uh, not, not for me. Do you know what I mean? But he knows that. He started like touching the ears. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, because he knows full well how much I don't like being touched. Mm. Do you know what I mean? But I would like to think the fact that I didn't tell him not to is an indication for him that I trust him. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And that there is that relationship there. It, it works both ways to a certain extent. So obviously, we, we, it's gone the other way sometimes. I, I, I get frustrated at times when people undervalue that. Do you mean sometimes I haven't got that message right? Like I said, I've been a little bit more genuine this year as a Reese Love Grover than last year. So what I noticed last year, some players left the club or wanted to go for the club or whatever because they didn't feel valued. But like straight away, I think, well, hang on, I I I remember every time I've kissed your partner on the on the cheek to say hello. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's that's more than five hundred quid. I'd pay you five hundred quid so I didn't have to shake your hand. Do you remember? Know I, I don't like touching people that much. Mm. So to me, it's a huge investment. Do you know what I mean, if I buy someone a coffee or shake someone's hand or something, to me, straight away, that's a transaction. Yeah. I've made a sacrifice and something I don't want to do to make them more at ease. Mm. So it's certainly, certainly, I, I, the players seem to respond to that really well when it comes to crisis. Do you know, a lot of them seem to like the fact that I can understand how they feel, but I don't feel it. Yeah. So it helps me think. Um, a fellow called Trevor Moad talks about thinking neutrally. Mm. I've never had that problem because I'm neutral all the time. Do you know what I mean? So when when something when something drastic goes wrong, whether it's sunk in their lives, like I've I've had players call me and and had family members dying on the on the side of the road, they don't know what to do. Mm. So I mean, I'm just talking through it. Yep, no dramas. Okay, you need to do this and this. Make sure you're here for that person, this person, this person. Give me a call later. Do you know what I mean? Because I don't get that emotional reaction at times. So it's not without feeling. Correct. It's that in that moment you're able to separate yourself from what someone else is going on. Yeah. And that, you know, this is something that we'll see a lot in therapy and it's something that I'm kind of really careful about, which is self-disclosure. So particularly when we're in therapy with a client, they want to know that you're not a robot. Yep. They want to know that possibly even to the extent that, that you're prepared to share that you've suffered enough to understand that, that what they're saying yep. is held. Yep. And that doesn't necessarily mean that when someone is relaying their story, which for me has some familiarity based on my experiences, yep. that I'll go straight back to it. Yep. It's the fact that in that moment, do am I aware of the constituent parts of what that experience must be like? Yep. And actually, the finite aw aware amount of ways in which a human can feel mean that, yeah, I've got empathy for this because, my God, as a human being, that sucks. Yeah. What you went through sucks. Now, sometimes, depending on the story, there may be this absolute sort of counter-transference moment where I'm feeling what they're feeling because it's of a depth. Yep. But rarely will that happen simply because it is not my role. It's my role to understand yep. and to absolutely give a shit. Yep. But I'm not going to feel what they're feeling because it's them that went through it. Yeah. But can I use my human and sort of clinical expertise to sit, sit with alongside them? Yeah. Yeah, and I hear you not doing something dissimilar. I hear you, you know, you've got a, You've got a, a bank of data that says that I've been there before. Yeah. I understand what that is. But yeah. right now, it doesn't need two of us to get in this trench. It means it needs me to reach down and pull you out of it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's still very empathy-driven. Yeah. But it's rational. Yeah, I think so. And I think the other thing is that, again, we talk about the illusion of choice. I think like it can extenuate in loads of different things. So, for example, we had a player get suspended for two weeks from out and off to the ref. Yeah. Sure. And he's like, oh, do you mean this should have? I said, no, you should have just squared up. Mm. And he was like, what? I said, well, if you go back two or three choices, 
if you'd made a different choice at that choice, you wouldn't have even been there. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So like I used to have this problem all the time. So I had an issue years back when I was drinking. Smashed a pint glass, do you mean cut four tendons in my hand, my artery, ended up passing out from blood loss, had five hours of surgery, nearly lost the use of two fingers, nearly never played again. And I remember telling my dad, he went, shouldn't have gone out. Mm. And it was so simple. So you mean it was so simple. Mm. So like again, like to me, so to a certain extent, I'm very good at working out how my players got there. And yeah. trying to teach them the ramifications of their actions. And I and I think that's where for me the real power comes in that understanding. Mm. Is the real power under and, and I don't think people teach people this enough is don't tell people what to do, teach them how to think. Absolutely. And and I think I think people do that too many times. They they put constraints on people, you've got to be in bed by this time, you've got to do this at this rule, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to do that. But they don't teach why. Why? <laughs> there's no and we spoke we spoke about it again before that think deeply of simple things do you mean for me that adds context mm. do you mean like that fellow got eaten by a shark didn't he in sydney a couple months ago mm. english guy mm -hmm. do you mean again i don't know but i wonder if he said i'm going to go swim out there and someone don't swim out there and i wonder if he asked why mm. and like well, why do australians check their shoes before they put them on if they're left outside yeah do you mean if you don't ask why you go, oh, he's probably just because he doesn't want to get wet. Well, no, yeah. it's because there could be spiders in them. You, you just you just sort of sweep it up with all the other things that you're told to do that you don't really respect yeah. anyway, don't yeah. you? You just sort of think, yeah. why are they so controlling or why do they need, you know? Yeah. But if you don't ask and you don't understand the worth, and I guess that's, you know, the, the why, the how and the what that you've talked about. Yeah. It's attaching yourself to a meaning but you need to understand where your meaning's coming from to attach yourself to it. You can't just do it because the words are on a wall. Yeah. You know, like the values on a wall. You've got to understand how you interact with it, you know, and where it comes from for yourself. You also said, uh, Reese, to me a, a couple of weeks ago when we first met that you now do things the opposite of what was done to you mm. as a player. Yeah. What can you think of now that, that you have relayed and that you've done differently as a coach now mm. i think probably probably the biggest one for me is that like we don't we don't really have rules at keithley mm. so like if you want to rock up late rock up late yeah i mean it's a unit I, I i i describe it as a university style system so if you're looking at rugby league normally and i remember this at cronulla if you were late 250 quid fine or 250 dollar fine it was a kilometer on the rower every minute as well mm. if you're wearing the wrong kit then you get fined if you don't weigh in, you get fined. And if you're this, you get fine, 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 fine. Which I, I always found really quite interesting that a lot of teams and a lot of organizations are really, really quick to highlight negative trends, but they mm. don't do the same for the positive. Yeah. And obviously with the way I work, left and right, yin and yang, black and white, you know, and everything has to be in balance. So I'm like, sweet, no drums, you can be negative. But when the same exact polar opposite happens, you have to have the same emotional response mm -hmm. as being positive. You mean, which I find quite ironic. When the ref makes a bad decision, everyone erupts. Mm. But when the ref does a good decision, it's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Damage limitation for yeah. them, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Do you mean zilch? So, so like what we try and do at Keithley is, is limit the rules. If you're late, you're late. Whatever. Not bothered. You will miss out just purely because you've missed out on time and learning. While, while you're in the car stuck in traffic, I'll have someone there getting one-to-one -one tuition. Mm. Do you mean, you can't control that. It's, it's uncontrollable. If you chose to leave home... 15 minutes later, well, again, it's got nothing to do with me. You, you chose to. Mm. So you've got to deal with the ramifications of your choice. If you do that enough time, you're not going to get there. So again, it links back into that choice discussion. So we have, so I get fines for that. Um, I give them holiday days. 
So you've got six holiday days. Again, logically, whether my math is perfect, I don't know, 28 days for 40-hour job, divide 12, blah, 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 come out at 5.7. So I'm like, there you go, boys, you can have um, six holiday days, whatever it was. After that, you lose your day rate. You know what I mean? Whereas for me, that removes, oh, do you mean, oh, you've missed 25% of your sessions. Now you got your first warning. You got your second one. You got third warning. You're arguing with people all the time. Whereas it doesn't put the responsibility back on the player. Mm-hmm. Do you mean? So, we, so huge amounts of accountability in that regard. Don't have game plans in games. Well, you know, I'm not bothered. Do you mean, go, no. pl- do you mean, I'm not on the field. Do mm-hmm. you mean, I, I, it's a bit like playing golf. Do you mean, like, it's your job to know that if you hit the ball in the bunker, that you're meant to use your sandwich. If you're if you're still hacking away with your wood, well, it's my job as a coach to go look, look, Stevie. Do you mean maybe that sandwich works better? The reason why it works better is this, 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 and this. Mm. But if you choose to keep doing that, well, fine, you won't get the right outcome, which means someone else will, and that's what a squad's for. Um, so so we do that a lot. So no game plans. Um, I stand on the sideline next to the dugout as a coach. Um, I don't stand at the top. Um, again, whether it's right or wrong, I don't know. I'm only a three-year three-year coach is that about levels is there something about levels there um well there's two bits there's the main bit for me funnily enough is feeling mm. i i watched the bench and i remember being on the bench panicking in games do you mean whether you're playing leads and you watch kyle or i light someone up you think you've got to come on the field here in a minute <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean or, or do you mean you're losing the game and then the message you mean you know they put you on the calendar on the cans and the coach is going oh, i need this, this, this. Yeah, yeah yeah but since i can't see him I don't get the get response, the, yeah. yeah, and and I and again, I, I find it ironic that baseball, basketball, NFL, football, all the biggest sporting organisations in the world, they're all, they're all down there. Touch line, yeah. and when when something goes wrong in rugby league, where's the coach come? Touch line. Do you mean so logically? Yeah. Well, I'm yeah. there, so I yeah. just stand there. So what it allows me to do is, I get to watch if someone sat there on the bench, doing this, doing this. I just grab them and just start passing with them. I'll, throw, I'll just give him some grief about something, or I'll point someone out funny in the crowd, or I'll just do something to break it, or mm-hmm. vice versa. If I see someone having a joke about something and I know they're going to go on in six or seven minutes, do you mean I'll ask them a question? And it's not always about footy. Trying to say it could be something simple. So just do things like that. Um, again, like I said, for, for me, if I didn't like one thing, maybe I like the reverse. Yeah. And it's just always learning. I think one big thing as well that I'm, I'm huge on is the players telling me when I'm wrong. Because I'm not always right. That's yeah. the whole point. I, I, I'm learning just as much as they are off them. So it's vital that they come and tell me. So like we did our what, why, house last night, for example, and I thought I'd try something new. So we did the presentation, put a QR code up on the screen. They scan the QR code. It come to a Google form. Boom, there you go. One of my players couldn't even fill out the form because he can't, mm. can't write. Mm. So he's like, do you mind if I come and articulate it to you and you write it down for me? He's like, yeah, 100%, no dramas. If I hadn't have done that, I'd never know. For him to say that, though, that's quite big, isn't it? Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Do you know, I love that sort of stuff. Speaks, so it speaks of an environment where he can say that. But he's old. Yeah. He's like 30 years old. So he's already played mm. 10, 12 years of footy. But he sat there. How long you played? Yeah, how long has he played and not been able to, yeah, not been able to do that? Yeah. Do you know I mean? Like we had a new player last night literally sprint out the room as we did our inductions last night. <laughs> you know, you, you know, you usually sing on the bus or whatever. Yeah. Again, I always felt uh, when they were doing it on the bus, I thought this is great. But obviously, we won every game last year, so the team was fairly homogenous. And I just felt a little bit sad that the, a lot of the lads hadn't seen this side of some of the players. And so I thought, well, this year we'll go more NFL style, and we'll do that on the induction day. So we did it last night, and I kid you not, one of the boys, boom, gone. So yeah. I just need to go to the toilet, and honestly, gone, disappeared. 
Leicester training. Leicester building, left training. Petrified of having to do it. And I and I and I went and saw um Dave Proctor, who makes the sandwiches. This guy, uh, he's the most old overqualified sandwich maker on the planet. <laughs> he used to be like the chief executive for one of the biggest social housing companies in the country. And he makes sandwiches now for us as a volunteer. And I bounce wow. a lot of stuff off him because he's just a great human. And I was like, these two days of inductions, which we've spoken about before, we do something subtly different there, have all the hassle to kind of trying to organise all this and do all this sort of managing all these people is worth it now because I've worked out he can't write. And he's petrified of looking stupid in front of mm. All of that for me is worth its weight in gold because you're drawing out real emotions and real ideas and you're trying to put people in positions that or expose them to stuff that they don't like. Mm. You know what I mean? Or not that they don't like, but you put them in a position where they can't hide. That's probably a better way. Do you know what I mean? So simple yeah. things like watching where we had one young player came in. I noticed he always had headphones on. So I made him do a passing drill with Mel Gora. Mel Goro is a player of mine, really articulate human being, great story, quite deep, yeah. well and truly drank from the Keithley Kool-Aid, um, like, <laughs> likes, likes, having, like, likes having deep, deep conversations. So I thought, here we go. Like, if, if there's anyone to speak to on the team that's fascinating, Mel Goro is the one. But Mo won't force anyone to do anything. And he'll sit there completely quiet unless you draw it out of him. So I thought I'd get, I'd, I'd literally put him with him for all the, the whole day. We went to West Wales. He sat next to him on the bus. He had a pass with him, and then he sat next to him in the crowd, had his headphones on the whole time, didn't speak to him. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And then I worked out that he does that so that he doesn't have to speak because he's so used to texting people that when you speak to him, it's quite stilted, and he speaks in terminology that's not actually measurable. So he used cliches a lot, and so he hides in cliches and things like that, but trying to strip those back so he actually has to articulate some form of message. Jermaine mm. is huge. I mean, and he had quite a bad. He's what, why, how last year was quite, was quite gnarly. And again, the first time he'd ever spoken about that sort of stuff. Jermaine, which, which again, like that's, I know I'm a rugby league coach, Jermaine, but I'm a huge believer in that if rugby league's a lot easier if you know how to think. Yeah. Jermaine, and there's not one way of thinking. Jermaine, I think a lot of people start everyone here and try and get them as far as they can, whereas I kind of reverse it. I want us to get to there and everyone starts at a different point. Yeah. It, don't get me wrong, it's ball like, do you know what I mean? It's all like trying to work out like all these different pathways. Do you know I mean for all these different people? Um, but it seemed it worked in League One. Do you think that's what makes them feel like people first? Is that mm. is that what you think the meaning? I think is? so. I I think it's what I think it makes them feel valued for who they are. And I had a text message off off a new player yesterday. I'm watch because we've been watching some New Zealand stuff. I watch New Zealand. Who do you want me to be like? It's like what? I don't want you to be like any of them. I want you to be you. Do you mean just look at look at how they're playing RE Adline catch mm. pass? I said, but you do it your way. I'm not trying to turn you into Fish Harris. Why would I want to do that? It's quite relieving that, isn't it? It is. Yeah. I mean, when I did my research for my dissertation, I spoke with Sean Wen. Yes. I had a couple of hours with him, and he spoke quite openly as he did done a high performance podcast and a yep. couple of other pods. He talked about his upbringing. Yeah. And the one thing he'd taken from that is that. We're going to get people coming into our game as you are in sport, to be quite honest, but rugby league is small enough for us to know the stories. We're going to get people coming to our game for whom their upbringings and their difficulties and the circumstances around their formative years mean that you're not just bringing a player into that changing room. You bring in a list of challenges, difficulties, tragedies, yeah. unique circumstances. And I think the one thing that Wayne was able to do is communicate to me in a way that really, it really evoked a real strong sense of 
my God, I'd play for you at 40 years old yeah. with absolutely no inclination to be anywhere near a rugby field again. Yeah. I'll put my boots on and run through a wall from you because I get the impression and there'll be people who hear this who go, that's not my experience of him, but I can only say what I see. Yeah. Um, was that he made people feel safe. Yeah. Because you've got to coach, I believe, the human. Because rugby league, for all its way in which it bleeds into our psyche and the way in which we inhabit the game yeah. and talk about it, is a performance. Yeah. Who we are is the rest of the time we're off the field. Yeah. And if you take care of the human, the performance invariably takes care of itself. Yeah. And the way in which he was able to reach players, and this is what I'm hearing from you, reach the player, know the player, have equity, not equality. Not everyone gets the same treatment, but everyone has the same right to be seen. Yeah. Mm. And those 80 minutes, yeah, well, I say now and again, you're going to lose. You didn't last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you can wave your stats in my face yeah. and go, I think not, John. Yeah. But if you take care of the humans, they take care of the performance. Yeah, yeah, no, agreed. Well, and again, fun, fun enough, something, there's sort of two things that resonate with me, like um, I hope he doesn't mind, but Dane Chisholm, said last night we actually stood up and, and everyone not everyone spoke but a few of the boys spoke and, and he came in halfway through last year from Featherstone mm. and he said um, he stood up and said look boys obviously for you new lads I was new last year and he said there were times last year when it got difficult on the field and when I looked at my teammate I remembered what he'd said mm. and his why mm. and he said I played harder because of it huh. Do you mean, and I think that's huge. I think that's huge because again, you don't know what's going on mm. behind. Mm. So, like we had people stand up last year. Do you mean again? Again, like we had we had some hugely traumatic stuff going last year that obviously I knew, I knew because the players tell me. Do you mean? But I didn't tell anyone else. But half a dozen stood up. Do you mean? Whether it was James Feather's story, I hope he doesn't mind me saying about obviously Danny Jones passed away on the field. Yeah. Do you mean, James Feather's thirty-eight years old, played there for twenty years. But he kept playing because he made a promise that one of them would win a grand final that year. They lost the grand final in 2015. Mm -hmm. And he swore that he would keep playing until, and he thought he'd never get that chance again um, until this year. That the, Jermaine, and he was crying. Like, well, I think we beat Swinton. He was crying on the field at Swinton because he'd had seven years of this build up, this pressure build up, and this, this agreement that they'd had that they'd win the grand final for his friend. Mm -hmm. And you could just see that flow off him do you know what I mean and and like when when he stood up and said this and like we had another player whose whose partner passed away of a brain tumor at 24 do you know I mean and left him with two kids do you know I mean and he stood up and said this like the boys didn't know this do you know what I mean? because it's, we're a part-time club mm. do you know I mean they don't know anything about that and yet we're supposed to go out and have each other's back 100 but how are you meant to when you don't know yeah and i and i find that fascinating if i'm honest like it's, it sounds daft, but the greater the vulnerability, the, the more empowering the story. That's literally what I wrote in my said, Show me a team that knows each other. Show me a team that loves and has walked each other, walks in each other's shoes. Yeah. And I show you a team who, when it looks to, when a player looks to his left and looks to his right, doesn't see his teammate, sees his brother. Yeah. Or his sister. Yeah. And, and and this is so much the stuff that, you know, we equate rugby to war, but actually if we're going to be clever about this, if you look at the ways in which people came back from from the great conflicts that we've seen, you know, notwithstanding the horror that they are, they knew their they knew their comrades under duress. Yep. In in intimate ways. Uh, they knew their backstory, they knew their families, they'd share these stories under stress. It meant that the love that they had for their comrades went way beyond quite a lot of the stuff they came back to in Civvy Street. 
Yeah. Because they'd shared it under duress. Yeah. And you show me a team that knows the man to his left and knows the man to his right. Yeah. And the teammate, and, and you, I'll show you someone who will find that extra top two inches. Yeah. Where the performance is accentuated because of the fact we've started to be vulnerable, yeah. start to be open, and we start to like each other as humans, not just as players. Yeah. Yeah, see, I, and I, I like that, Jim, and I like, and I'm a big believer that the environment that you that we try and manufacture in rugby league, rather than trying to teach them a specific thing, is to create an environment or, or a situation that exposes them to the ability to make those choices, to learn what they feel is is right for them, and it might not be what I think, so that's why I try and avoid telling them what to do. So come to trainer, don't mm. your choice. Do you mm. So when lads come to me last year, oh, can I go on holiday? Go if you like. No. But are you going to drop me? So I said no. I said, but someone's going to plant your shirt, and if he crushes it, well, he's chose to stay, and you've chose to leave. That's nothing to do with me. It's your own personal choice. And again, like I think that's whether it's right or wrong. I don't know, but I know some players don't like it. Most of the boys, I think, we've got nearly a hundred percent retention rate. Yeah. I mean, for a League One club that's won the comp, that's that's pretty good because most of the boys seem to like that. Why did they win on the field? Why do you think they won on the field? Uh, 20 times, 20 hours. Yeah. I, I think, again, we never thought about winning. Mm. Do you mean? See, again, the way my head works is you start from a singular thing. So straight away for me, okay, we want to get promoted. Okay, what does that mean? Okay, that means you've got to, you got to win the league. Okay, well, what does that mean? Okay, that means you have to have the most points in the table. Okay, well, how many do we have to win? Okay, well, so you average the last 20 years of... I worked out you, you can only afford to lose three games. Okay, sweet. What's the average points per game? For the teams that won okay it's it's i think it was 17. sweet so how, how do teams score 17 points or they score 17 points from doing these actions okay well how do you stop them doing those actions well we do these actions okay well sweet we're just going to measure those actions because mm. if we measure those actions that'll stop those tries if we stop those tries that'll stop those wins if we stop those wins they won't win as many games which means we're going to comp so we never actually spoke about winning any games and we never spoke about winning the comp mm. we just knew that if we did this at training regularly, this process, this process, mm -hmm. that we would be in a position that if I mean, it's no, and again, I just found it ironic that you do it in every other aspect of life, mm -hmm. except for rugby league. I mean, if, if you like, I was a PT for 10 minutes, someone would come up to me and go, okay, I, I want to fit a size 10 dress for my wedding. All right, sweet. So you got to lose 10 kilos in 10 weeks. Okay, sweet. There's your diet plan. Oh, I don't want to do that. Oh, well, for me, well, then you don't want to wear a size 10 dress. No, I, st I still want to wear a size 10 dress. Well, then you've got to do that. Simple, left or right. It's not rocket science. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and try and break that all the way down. And again, when you don't tell people what to do, it becomes choice. Mm. And then when it becomes choice, that means it's a sacrifice. Because it's not a sacrifice if you're forced. And Gallipoli, like, they weren't sacrificing stuff. They were forced to run over the wall. Yeah. But the guys who chose, they're the ones that get the medals. The ones who chose, and like it's the same with footy, I was, and I like the ability to give people the opportunity to show that they're making a sacrifice. Just when guys like we, TikTok comes in here, Ken and Di Dixon, we call him TikTok because he's always on TikTok. He's a kid, Jimmy, he's on TikTok all the time. He um, hasn't got a driver's license, so he drives, he gets an Uber. So when he rocks up to training, the boys know that he hasn't just driven there or he's been dropped off, he's called a taxi. Jimeno, when I saw him in here the other day doing using doing stuff with driven athlete, like that means when I saw him, if I didn't know anything about Keenan, I'd be like, hey man, how's it going? And I'd walk off and never think twice about it. But when I say Keenan, how's it going? Straight away I go, this kid's come here in a taxi mm. for no reason. He hasn't been paid for it. He's not getting paid, he's paid your plate. There's a 19-year-old kid who lives in Bradford or wherever he lives, doing with his mum. 
and he catches a taxi to come to do extra work to get himself better. So again, it's the context that makes the difference. Everyone does that action. Do you mean you could go in there now and there'd be people sat there, but some of them are on really good money and have driven a Mercedes here. To me, the action's the same, but the sacrifice to achieve that action is where the difference is. That's why I coach. So I love the idea of finding out what that is and if I can still get them to the outcome they want regardless of what what's difficult as they are having. Because I genuinely believe there are so many people out there that want to achieve something, but they just have no idea how to do it. And I do believe that rugby league, you know, better than anyone, they don't cater just for one demographic. Yeah. If you like, I, I was lucky that when my fiance fell pregnant with Corey, I was already playing Super League. Otherwise, I couldn't afford to play. I would have had to quit. Mm-hmm. So we wouldn't be having this podcast. Because <laughs> yeah. I never would have played. Yeah. If I never would have played, maybe I never, we spoke about it before. Maybe I never would have had my second son because I would never would have had the money to have a second kid. Yeah. I know for a fact there's dudes out there that was as talented as I was that, you know what I mean, hooked up with a bird at 18 years old. She fell pregnant, quit on the spot. Because you can't sign for seven grand or whatever the hell some of these guys, 10 grand contracts. If you want to be a dad, unlucky, mate. You know I mean? Like the, the missus is pretty soon coming up to you going, hang on, why are you going over there for 10 grand when you can go labor for 18? That's true. Mm. And, the, and these are the choices, the singular choices and the ramifications of stuff that people don't necessarily think about. Yeah. People think I'm very serious at times, and, and I am, but only because I know how quickly simple choices can can manipulate your way from all and all of a sudden you can end up in a position that you didn't originally think and i and i find that fascinating i generally find that fascinating looking at everyone's different difficulties because usually in rugby league they don't look at size or athleticism and your skill set but they don't look at your mentality they don't look at your social circumstances they don't work out how to get them there and that's one thing i do love about keithley i feel like our club's really good in that like contracts, for example, we talk about contract value. That doesn't necessarily mean salary. Mm. I find that really interesting. So like for someone like me who wants freedom, my contract is worth X, but it's not paid in a salary. It's paid in favors. So like they know I don't like talking on the phone. So therefore, what are all the things that talk on the phone the most? Do you mean trying to sort out your rent, trying to speak to real estate agents, trying to sort your car insurance, all this sort of stuff. So I, they remove all that for me by supplying me with the car and house. Mm. So to me, they don't have to. That's a choice. They could turn to me and go, love you, no, we're actually just going to give you that money. But the fact that they've chosen that means that when I have to make that Wednesday sacrifice, I'm okay because I know that they've, they've done something for me they didn't have to do. Yeah. So I'm now going to reciprocate that. It's a mutual agreement. And I just find well, that really interesting. Humanity is seen in a way that makes your coaching ability come to the fore. I think so. And this is kind of the thing that, like say, with, with the Wayne conversation, that he understood that so many of his players came from backgrounds that were just horrendous. And so how am I going to extract the player that I can see from the circumstances that absolutely are not conducive to understanding pressure, understanding deadlines, demands, yeah. understanding negative feedback? I'm going to put this individual through the ringer. And in doing so, a lot of culture isn't going to be built. Culture is going to be revealed. Yes. How am I going to contribute to that culture in a way that notwithstanding a lot of the stuff that they've been through, actually they're going to grow from it because I've been through it. I've been there and I hear that in your stuff. I've been there. So I'm going to make sure that I see that you're there too. And that that's, that's when players know that they're held. Yeah. Make me safe and I'll do the rest. Yeah. Yeah. The, and yeah. This is what my head's going at the minute. So 
from what you're saying, Reese, like, and and I think from what me and me and John have both experienced in terms of team dynamic and how can actually be quite healing, can actually like allow people to feel safe and feel like they've got a brotherhood and mm. that they are in, empowered in their own choices. And I've been actually thinking a lot, as I do, about trauma, you know, looking at trauma, right? And I've sort of like thought, I've never associated myself with someone to have trauma, but I think if you dwell on it long enough, you can sort of debunk a mystically happy childhood and, and sort of think back to your experiences and think, fuck, do you know what? Maybe this is, as you said, you've done Reese. Maybe this is why I'm a bit like this. Maybe this is why I'm scared to death of this. Maybe this is why I'm having all these intrusive thoughts and these build up of emotions all the time because I've actually been through a lot, right? But I think the the guise of elite professional sport doesn't allow you to even comprehend or consider injuries, experiences, everything that you've had within that timeline as something that's traumatic because it's considered to be living the dream, right? Yeah. But it's not considered to be living the reality. No one thinks that. But even as a person, and I think something that builds into resilience is the ability to just say, that's not affecting me. Next thing. Yeah. Boom. That's not affecting me. Next thing. Right. So when does trauma become trauma, John? Like is because the body knows no different, does it? No. You know, like it's getting whacked every day. It's getting, it's doing amount of collisions. It's injuring itself. It's hurting itself. Right. So the body didn't know any different, but where I'm coming to here is how much better is it for someone to still get hurt? and affected and feel the stress but also feel looked after you know and safe because that's what i understand trauma to be is, is a wound which has never been attended to yeah. and and I, obviously that's something that can go through childhood it's something that can go as you're growing up through your teens and a lot of people have different types of trauma but what where are we with that like what how do you see it like god it's a it's a big question it's just a how how do we define trauma? And I guess, you know, there is maybe people listen to this for whom their sort of profession or their clinical understanding of it would have it be a variation on this theme. But trauma is an event or a series of events or a period of time that is also overwhelming that we don't have we're unable to quantify it, we're unable to understand it. Ultimately we end up being defined by it. Mm. We end how up being mean? defined by it by what not to do. So we are in a three part brain model, we are two part safety, one part thrive. And so I need to thrive and to move beyond our experiences and to have perspective by it, on our experiences is always outnumbered by a need to be defined by them in order to keep safe sure. from them ever happening again. So we are always predisposed to be risk averse. This is why we are the creatures that we are, because we can make ourselves safe. But it's a lot of the time it's at the expense of thrive. It's at the expense of a, a life less ordinary. And so we find a lot of people who've been through trauma, regardless of what that trauma is, engineer smallness as Brené Brown would put it they move away from our edges they don't take risks they don't move towards the stuff that ultimately makes being a human being a really good thing to be you know I, I know I was clearly small t traumatized yeah. by my experience in rugby league because I never watched a game for the like next five years mm. I missed out on my team winning challenge cup finals and you know going to grand finals because I couldn't be around it the idea that I, and, and, my, and like I said to you before my career wasn't anything to write home about is the extent to which I felt so much upset and difficulty around ending my career in circumstances that harmed me and knackered my relationship with the spot that I thought I loved. Mm. And so I withdrew and withdrew and withdrew. 
And so what we have to understand is that trauma is something that we can't make meaning of. And what I'm hearing from, of stuff from Reese here is this idea that you're walking alongside your experiences, you're really walking alongside them. And what, what you're able to do with that is to say, so when I talk about, when I talk about trauma, I, I use almost like a continuum and say, right, here we have a failure, an ostensible failure that goes into this continuum. Where does it fall? And failure is good for me. Fail, failure is great, yeah. which makes me, as we said on the thing, makes me really, really shit at eyes. I think failure is great. And they go, I'm not talking to yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right, mate. Where is it going to fall? Is it going to fall in definition? Where we are held captive by it, where we lose so much of our independent thought, where we lose our personality, where we lose our sense of proportion, where we lose our vulnerability. Are we going to be defined by it? Or are we going to have perspective on it? I hear you with so much perspective where you go, this is what happened, mm. not this is who I am. Yeah. This is what happened and this is what I'm going to apply. And it's, and it's Victor Frankl's logotherapy, mm. which is meaning therapy, essentially. This is what happened to you. What are you going to do with yeah. it? Yeah. I think another thing, uh, listening to you talk then, I was just thinking about something then. I think one thing that I find quite interesting again, and I'm going to put it into binary stuff here again, like you have to bear <laughs> with me, is that a good example is, you know, when people, when you play footy and someone goes, I'd never do that. Mm. You talk about trauma, but I think it's got to do with perspective. So like me and you taking a kickoff carry, probably mm. wouldn't think about it. No. The exact same action, someone else would hit the same force, would see that as trauma. Yep. Yeah. And I think in the physical world with, with physical actions, people are so blasé about that. They yeah. think it's hilarious. Yeah. Oh, I wouldn't do that. Yeah, yeah. What a lunatic. I wouldn't do that. But when you look at mental, no one speaks about that. Mm. Whereas the same action has the exact same variation in, in interpretation. One could be seen as trauma and the other one seen as nothing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, man. And I'm so subjective. Yeah, I found that really interesting. So like, like me, and, me and my fiance lost our mums at this, nearly the same sort of time last year. Obviously, me being me. Not affected. Do you mean? I, I, I hope everyone listening realizes that I'm a bit strange. Do you mean? So I was a little bit upset for about five minutes, and then after that, no drama's done. Mm. My my fiance is 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 still very upset by hers now, and we're twelve months on, so very different things. I mean, and I think that comes down to understanding the person as well. Like we spoke about context. Mm. So to me, I can remember the last time I ever touched my dad besides shaking his hand. And I remember, you remember you used to kiss your parents goodnight? I remember being sat in the hallway thinking, I don't want to kiss dad. You know that time you realize it's a bit weird to kiss your dad? Mm. I would have been about six. Um, and I'm 42, I'm still doing it. <laughs> well, some people never, <laughs> get, never get that. But, but I remember being there, I remember being there thinking, okay, like, how, how am I going to go in here and kiss mom mm. and not kiss dad? And I remember sitting there for about 20 minutes, sitting on the floor thinking, oh my God, how am I going to do this? All right, stuff, I'm just going to do it. Just going to do it. I kissed mum, walked, just started walking out, and I and I and I can like honestly, I can get goosebumps. So I can still feel it now when he when he said, "Where's my kiss?" And I turned around, and dad being dad, and obviously not remotely knowing me, and this is where I talk about understanding people, and this is where they clearly just didn't understand. Probably like I said, now you get a lot more information, don't you? But I never forget. I went to kiss him on the cheek, and he licked me. He licked the side of my face, and he burst out laughing. And thought it was hilarious. And I remember going into the bathroom and using a scour on my face to get it off. And I can remember that. I can still remember the smell of coffee and all that. And for the fact that I can remember that right now, one of my 35, so you're looking 29 years on, yeah. as if it would like literally it's making me palm sweat. To a normal person, just that would be absolutely normal. Do you know what I mean? I'm assuming. But for me individually, personally, that has probably had more effect on my life than, than my mum passing last year. 
That was trauma for you, wasn't it? Do you know what I mean? So this is what I sound like. I, th I think it's really interesting that when you talk about physical trauma, everyone looks at stuff really blase and really quite quite open about it. But when you look at the context between individuals' perception of the same action, yeah. some can be perceived as trauma and then some can't. And I find that really quite interesting. It's really interesting. And and when you ask that Steve, that question, Steve, you know, you know, what is trauma? It's such a huge question because it's it's so subjective. It's so much in the high of the eye of the person who experiences it. What is trauma as a teenager and in our adult life very much correlates with what we were taught trauma was when we were growing up and actually how we're wired. And so it's so difficult. And this is why to get to understand someone's foibles and quirks and how they walk in this world is so important when we're asking them to perform. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then you, you, you might ask me. You might be asking a goldfish to climb a tree. Yeah, yeah, and then the yeah. context matters. Do you mean if you're on the rugby league field and someone tackles you, you think nothing of it? You're mm -hmm. walking in the street. So yeah, that's very different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's the same thing with our terminology. We're like we're very careful with our language and terminology, and and, and in today's day and age, obviously we are. You mentioned Dave Chappelle. He's one of the biggest advocates for breaking down PC culture. Yeah, mm. but I think he gets away with it so well because people realise he has no he has no dog in the fight. Mm. Remember yeah, the context yeah. for him, he genuinely doesn't bother. But the exact same word said by one person in one context is very, very different by someone else yeah. in another context. Yeah, absolutely. And I find that, and and again for me, that absolutely fascinates me. And and I, within reason, I try and get away from that. Well, that's that's is that binary though? You know, because you you say you think the binary, but for you to understand that Dave Chappelle can say that, yeah, your understanding that is a little bit detached from. Why you're saying it? Yeah, you, you understand that he's just sort of holding a mirror up, maybe to to the society that we're in yeah. at the minute, and yeah. seeing what what we're getting triggered by, and and what we think's right and what we think's wrong. Yeah, that is that binary. It's 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 almost it's almost like an observer, isn't it? Yeah, he's saying I I see what's going on here. Some of this I don't understand, and I think you know that's analytical. I guess it's analytical. Well, I, th I think if that's uh, quite deep. Yeah, thing. well, I think it works for me in a way because obviously, and again, maybe this is why I do this to a certain extent, is that I find if I'm open with how I'm detached with the way I mentally react and emotionally react to things, that gives me almost that little bit of social grace when I say something that's offensive. Do you know what I mean? So like, um, because I'll often just ask questions because I'm genuinely fascinated with what people do, because people fascinate me more than anything else. And I know we've spoken about this already, Jeremy, but like little things like finding out that someone I was speaking to a couple of weeks ago that she didn't like driving at night. Oh, sweet, why not? I had a car crash. Oh, really? It was a bad. He hasn't had a car for four months. Oh, sweet. Did your hair keep growing? That was my next. You know, and that was my, what about your fingernails? Shane, how'd you exercise? What'd you do? What'd you do? And, and before I'd realized that, I'd actually probably pass the social boundary. Gazump to the emotion. I mean, and I remember someone was sat there and after she left and that, he grabbed me and said, oh my God, you can't, mm. you can't ask people that stuff. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But what I noticed the next time I saw her, she hugged me and didn't check me out. Do you mean? And she said, she said, that's the first time I've spoken to someone that didn't seem to care about what had happened. How did you deal with a hook? I didn't like it. I didn't like it. Get Dream. away from me. Jeremy, I didn't like it. Dream. But on the flip side, I, I'd understood that she'd invested in me by me making yeah. her uncomfortable. Uh, there was a reciprocal agreement there. And, yeah. and, I, and I just found it interesting that my, the way I saw it, since I had zero context mm. and I had zero judgment, I was genuinely just interested, seemed to make her more comfortable. 
And that's our child, isn't it? That's our childhood curiosity. And I think that's something that we stymie when as adults. Yeah. We suddenly realize as an adult that we shouldn't be asking questions. You get blocked by an expectation. Yeah, an expectation that we somehow should know, assume, or be reading the room when actually there's that, for some of us, there's that constant inner child going, why? Yeah. yeah. But I feel like I've noticed myself like disregarding like you'd and like just asking questions and just saying stuff that I think, yeah. you know what I mean? You yeah. ask some of the best questions. <laughs> you do, you go, why, why is that the John? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I, I think I need to cop up a smart answer here. And I'll go, I don't know, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, it, but you do, it's that curiosity. It is that curiosity, yeah, like you're saying. Keeps you moving, doesn't it? Yeah. It keeps you less stuck. Mm. You can get stuck in how you f have to feel or how you should feel or how someone expects you to feel. Yeah. You know, like, it's not your it's not your place, is it? You're just expanding your curiosity, I guess. But that's why I guess I'm asking about the trauma and... Mm the body keeps a score and all that when the body says no and it's these these physicians these psychiatrists Bessel van der Kolk yeah that's right yeah. is he what's he what, is he a psychiatrist is he started yeah. I think he was med medicating people wasn't he yeah psychologist psychotherapist and then he's yeah. psychotherapist yeah he started looking at the body keeping all of this stuff in yeah that we almost have two brains that we experience yeah. we experience a cognitive trauma but almost an embodied one as well that our body is there to show us that our brain is probably onto something mm. or that you know that we manifest and hold trauma in the body mm. and we absolutely do because it's it's like you know there's one version of it looking in a good way visualization and seeing yourself you, basically your body doesn't know the difference if your mind's playing this this show so the visualization has been seen to be great for like shooting free throws in basketball or actually building muscle because your body is like, it's going along with it anyway, because your body doesn't know the difference. That, so that's why I ask about trauma. The other side of that, when your body, do, you, your mind thinks, your mind's like, yeah, I'm getting tackled. I've made 40 tackles. I've, I've made 20 carries. It's rugby. It's fine. Everyone's celebrating it. It's all normal. It's all good. This is what I've done all my life, but your body didn't have yeah. a fucking clue, does it? So, like, I'm wondering how that interacts. You know, because it's so celebrated, and because you've been you've been sort of recognised at doing this thing yeah. as a kid, and it's like, oh, this is this is all right, this is acceptable, but you've not spoke to your body about that, or your body. And this is where I'm thinking. I mean, I'm sometimes all over the place at me at the minute with the process that I'm going through. I said to you yesterday, recently, I was so keen to come to that last night and I've just been so distracted by my emotions, actually, and how I felt Thursday night and throughout Friday. And I had to stop everything that I was doing and thinking about what I wanted to do and just spend time on myself and just actually, I did journaling for about three hours and just dived into it because I'm like, there's this monologue inside me and it's like, you need to do this master's assessment, you need to do this and you need to... And you need to, pre I'm that sort of cracking the whip, you know, pressuring yourself. But I'm like, no, I fucking need to spend time with myself. This is what I imagine that everyone fucking talks shit about saying self-care and fucking, <laughs> you know, baffing, flipping. Candles. The candles. Exactly. That's my version because if I don't sort myself out and look after myself right now, then I'm just going to carry on in this flipping cycle where I just feel all over the place. So this is why I ask these questions because I'm like, one, I think it's amazing. It's what me and John talk about all the time in terms of mentality, in terms of corporate well-being, in terms of like how human beings 
should be allowed to come into an environment as themselves and feel safe and looked after and acknowledged for who they are to then for the lines of health and, and performance to converge. You know, we talk about all the time and I think it's something that is an uphill battle a lot of the time because coaches are in fear, CEOs are in fear about their sort of worth and what they're allowed to put out there. So I had to do that. I had to spend time and it's journal and I had to look after myself and then starting to think about trauma as in, do I have trauma? You know, what might that be? And yeah. doing this journaling for a long process and, and sort of thinking about these injuries that I've had, thinking, fucking hell, I've, I mean, I've had 10 operations, you know what I mean? I've had 10 ops and I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm only 28 and there's this, I'm going to ask you about it, John, that, that sort of rigid persistence to just go through stuff. Mm. But I think these are questions that we have to ask and we'll talk about the concussions and, 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 and brain trauma and stuff as well. But like, is there a need to make people feel like you are at Keefley looking at us being human beings mm. in terms of being a container for the inevitable trauma that your body's going to feel? And, I, and this is me just spend a lot of time thinking about it and a lot of people might not even get to the point that I'm thinking and not care about it or whatever. But I do see a lot of players struggling and not understanding the way to go. And I guess I'm just interested in, in sort of the, the whole human being. Uh, it's about knowing what you've been through, isn't it? Mm. Knowing what you do, you appreciate what you've been through. Mm. Any given time in pubs and clubs around the north of England, you're going to find any manner of players former players who are seeking to numb mm. both the physical and emotional pain of not being part of what they used to be part of. Are you going to, once that period of your life is over and, the, and, and you're no longer a player, are you going to appreciate what it's given you for the next stage of your life? Because yeah. if you aren't, that's a, you know, at 28, with 10 operations down, I don't know how many mate you had, Reese, but you know, certainly I had quite a few as well, you know, in a short career. It's got to be worth something because our understanding and appreciation of what we've been through helps us to overcome the idea that somehow we were done too. Mm. We were overwhelmed. We were suppressed and compressed and, and basically ridden roughshod over by a game that we were supposed to love. Yeah. And then we were spat out and shat out the other side of it. And then what are you going to do with that? As you were talking, Steve, I was looking down at my ankle and I've got a great big scar up my, on my right leg here from where I was living out in Southwest Wales, desperate for friends, desperately lonely. I hadn't picked up a ball in anger in years and at 35 decided, at 36 decided I was going to go throw a ball around with a local rugby union team and I snapped my Achilles tendon about three minutes into training. I was so rampantly depressed. Yeah. So tense, my body just wasn't ready to, re I wasn't in flow in any way, shape or form. My, my body and my brain weren't in flow. So my body absolutely showed me where it was at and it snapped my Achilles tendon. I've never had any pain before mm. or after and absolutely, you know, it's been fine. But I'm absolutely convinced that day that I went and did what I did because my neurologically and emotionally and everything about me was overwhelmed. Mm. And I guess coming back to you, you know, if we're going to understand trauma and overwhelm and freeze as a place in which we can arrive at certainly when we're looking back on our experiences if we can't make meaning of them but also with your players here you're freeing them up to go and be expressive mm, yeah to go and be free because we say i'm going to take care of that my job is to carry that load yeah. to understand that load you go do you 
Yeah, yeah, and I like to think. And I also like to think that we we touched on a little bit before with Stephen Fry is that if you remove those things, are they still the same person? Mm. Mm. So if we're going to say that they're not going to be the same person, well, then we need to show these players and these people that who they currently are has value, warts and all. Jermaine, I think by by comparing, I don't know who you got, Jermaine, but I used to get, oh, you want to be like Ben Westwood, you want to be like Ben Kennedy, you, and they would give me all these back roles that weren't me. Mm. So essentially, you're telling me. But I'm not, not good enough. And then you're giving me numbers to show me how I'm not good enough. And then you're going to show me on TV all the bad stuff that I'm doing to prove the fact that I'm not good enough. We got the Newcastle Knights uh, coach. We got Mal Rayleigh and his backroom staff that came yeah. up to Huddersfield. Yep. And they went, the, the, the guy, the, the fitness coach, um, said, I want you to look at Darren Albert's game. Yeah. And I went, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's aspirational. Aspirational on the verge of sh- verge of shame because I just watch. I just watch him, you know, dance around the manly defence and, yeah. and and win the grand final. So yeah. I like that's a big ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, no, no. again, I find that really interesting. Do you mean I find that really interesting that that it's gotten that bad in Super League now that you come out with a score? Mm. Do you your game, all that sacrifice that you just spoke about, all do you mean all those collisions, all that training comes out of a little score made by Opta. Yeah. Well, then, and when you're trying to minimise all those actions into a 98, the next score 119. So reductive, isn't it? I I think so. Yeah. I think so. I just find it. I, I find it really quite interesting. Do you and, use stats? No. No. <laughs> Unsurprising answer of the day. Not individual stats. Like we use, like I said, we do our we we stat our processes. Um, mm-hmm. but I we use it as a trend line for um improvement. Mm-hmm. And so literally we always talk about most teams use stats to pick the team. Yeah. Whereas I try and use the stats to feed information back into the training. So if you do a mass test and you get all your plus, your minus, your times tables correct, but you get all your division wrong, well, that's what we work on in training. Mm-hmm. So don't use it to go, oh, you're crap at division and you're not as good as him. Do you mean it's no, no, okay, sweet. We've got most this of the information for what we're going to do. Correct. It's also yeah. why uh, we have five coaches, not two. And usually you've got head coach, two assistants. I've got, well, if you count Blackie, I've got five coaches mm-hmm. there. Six if you include me. So what that allows me to do is the kid that's bad at division, you're going to go learn division. Mm-hmm. So the kid that's bad at this, you're going to go learn that. Mm-hmm. And it's the same. All my coaches are very different on 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 that personality chart as right. well. So you've got a coach called Dean Muir that works with special needs kids and, and, and hard, hard to reach pupils at school. That's literally what he's best at he's, wow. a, he's a highly qualified coach but he's very very good at personality traits mm-hmm. so i'll if i'm in a group setting i'll go tell dean i want you to go stand next to this person almost like you would in school so because i know that person's not going to understand what we're doing so therefore you're his one-to-one tutor for this session mm-hmm. and i'll purposely orchestrate that love stuff that, that way and it's it, no it, person centered. it seems to be working <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The, the, the only stat that's important is 20 out of 20. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Jeremy, but, but it, uh, the thing I'm the most excited about for championship is that we've got far more games. Mm. And in League One, you, you've only got 20 games, and the difference between the top and the bottom is astronomical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The thing I'm really excited about with championship is the fact that we've got so many more opportunities to see if this works. Yeah. And to change stuff and tweak stuff. And I know that Dane Chisholm came up to me, and I hope it doesn't mind me dropping him. He was like, just a bit on edge one day at training and, and I have like a couch at in training and then literally the boys come in, they sit on the couch and I just, I, I end up linking my laptop to the TV and they see everything. WhatsApps, emails, session plans, when the staff come in, usually I just get them to trade me a coffee. 
that's where most of my coaching gets done. That's where I think we won the comp was purely because people sat on that couch and Chiz was sat there. Was, you could feel it. You could feel it coming off him. And I was like, well, what's up? And he's like, you change stuff all the time. I was like, well, what do you mean? Because I don't realize you know, I was like, when I first got here, we did this and then we did that. And I could understand that. But now we're doing this, 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 and this. I was like, yeah. So, but do you do one plus one at school till year 12? He's like, well, no, of course you don't. I said, so why would we do the same here? Mm. And once you learn that, I'm going to teach you something else. I'm going to teach you something else. I'm going to teach you something else. I said, but don't forget, you're choosing to be here, dude. Mm. And he's like, yeah, 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 I know I am. As long like, as he keeps choosing. Yeah, I was like, oh, you don't have to be. I said, you, you've come and sat on the couch. But that conversation's quite good because at least he's asking why. 100%. Yeah. And, and, and I think they believe that because they know I don't care. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So for, for two reasons. One, my, the, my way of thinking is choice. But also, they also know that there's no, the way I think I'm, I'm not, there's no preconceived issue. So if someone comes and says they've got an opinion, I'll look at it and go, oh, yeah, that's a good idea, that. Because there's so much stuff that the way I think I miss. Yeah. You know, I miss the most obvious stuff on the planet, honestly. It's hilarious. Like people go, how can you miss that? So like riddles, for example, no idea how to answer a riddle. And so we did, I never got, we did, we did like a quiz, you know, where you go to like 10 or you go to like preseason camps, and they're trying to do quizzes and then someone thought it'd be a good idea to pick me. And I was like, dude, I'm only good at math. <laughs> I mean, unless he's going to randomly start asking algebra questions, which I don't think he's going to ask a rugby league group anything about algebra. <laughs> and um, well, one of the questions was, um, how far did Tommy walk into the forest before he started walking out? And it was question one. There's 20 questions. I didn't answer any of them. Because I couldn't get past question one because I was doing my head in that much. And Craig All was out there. And he'd come over and he saw me freaking out. And he went, he said, were you soft? He said, it's halfway. The answer's bloody halfway. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that makes so much sense now. You said it. But yeah, yeah. Hey, it may as well have been rocket science. Mm -hmm. Drew, and you give me a long equation, no dramas. Mm -hmm. Drew, and you tell me to read a book, no dramas. Do you mean read, read psychology books, no dramas? But if you ask me something randomly crazy simple. Yeah. And that's the thing. And that's what opens up to me. So, like, you just don't know what people don't know. No, no, no. No, that's that the general knowledge. I mean, you just don't know what they don't know until you put them in a situation. Like, fuck up. Yeah. You see it at footy all the time. Like, we, we, had, we had a game. Like, this is why I love friendlies. We get pumped in every friendly. It's awesome. <laughs> we, we got pumped in our friendlies this year. Both lost both friendlies. And people said to me, said, oh, do you mean, what are you going to do? I was like, well, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. I was like, well, how do you know that? I said, because he, everyone's, I said, they've scored seven tries, six were from the same thing, and most of them were from the same blood. Well, How'd you find out? I said, well, I actually asked someone else what's wrong with him. I said, is he, what, like, why is he not understanding my doing something wrong? And it turned out that A, I'm humble. B, I'm Australian, so I've got a different accent. And when I get excited, I speak faster. Mm -hmm. And vocabulary wise, education wise, I was using words he didn't understand. Mm -hmm. And when you add all those four up, he had no idea what the hell I was talking about. And he wasn't confident enough to say anything. Yeah, and so I actually use him as an example, and I use that exact example when I speak to new players when I come in. I say, so "Genuinely ask me, because otherwise I'll keep going, and you'll get left behind for no fault of your own." Yeah, exactly. you, you don't know what they don't know. Don't know. But I don't, how am I? He never said he didn't understand me. Mm. Never spoke to me once. Mm. And unfortunately, it's cost him his job mm. because ultimately he didn't get resigned. Yeah, because his performances weren't there. Unfortunately, other people did understand, which is professional sport. At the end of the year, obviously we gone up, new budget, new set of challenges, and and then and then he he, he got moved on. 
this is the thing about inheriting cultures, isn't it, as well, that when you buy a player, you buy their pre-exist, or when you bring a player into the club, you bring in their pre-existing prejudices, awarenesses and lack of awareness. Yeah. And actually stripping a person back and understanding what they don't know and prizing that as much as what they bring yeah. in order to improve that individual yeah. is as critical to a good community or, or a good culture in sport as, as you're going to... Yeah. As anything that the brilliant they'll do on the field. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, I mean, it's huge. And then I know um, I always try and meet all my players that I sign, or I try and find someone that knows me already, because then they know that I'm weird. So, I mean, so it's not a shock. Because, like I said, it's got to be a choice. If anyone comes in for some preconceived, whether it's finances or whatever, it won't work. Mm. It just won't work. Because I always say that that someone's wage is for what they've done historically. The person who plays is for what they've done in the present. Yeah, and I disconnect the two things. So I'll drop the highest paid player. It means nothing to me. It's whoever's doing the the current things right. And I think people really need to understand that because I think there is a, a massive misconception in rugby league if they keep trying to sell what you're doing to the player. Mm. And when you sell a car, it's only when you get in it you realize the back window doesn't go down. Do you know what I mean? And that the exhaust rattles. Do you know what I mean? There's a flat tire because they've polished it all up to try and sell it. And I think coaches do the same thing with players. Mm. Oh, you coming here? Yep, you're going to start back row. Yep, we're going to look after you here. We're going to look after you here. We're going to look after you. But they don't know because I'm sure they're actually up and running. Because I'm sure you took someone's shirt. Mm. I'm sure they've spoken to someone at that. They would have had a conversation at Leeds. Yep, you're going to be the back row. You're going to be playing 13. Six months later, you come out the woodwork and they don't play. Mm. Yeah. How do they feel? Yeah, yeah. And that's where it comes hard for you because then it breaks that. He's not going to help you anymore because you've took his shirt. Mm. Do you yeah. end up selling the level of certainty that you, you, you can't possibly it. deliver? No. And, 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 and we've missed out on players. And if I'm honest, I've even told players to go to other clubs that would have made my team better. Because I've been like, look, honestly, call me if you've got any questions. And they'll call me, I've been offered by this club. It's like, oh, that's awesome. Go there. I'm like, what, what? Why do you want me to come to Keith? I said, oh, no, I do. I said, but well, that's closer. Literally down the street. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. so, like I said, you could be, you could go home, have 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 coffee with your missus, and then go to train enough to work. Yeah. Mm. You could be home to tuck your kids in. Don't yeah, lift. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And, and and I like that because, because for every one of them, we get two more. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So like I've had a player this year that signed for us that 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 had great offers from other clubs, but he actually called me and said, "I'm actually going to come to you guys because I feel like you're not trying to sell me anything." Mm. He said, "I just feel like you're just being you." You've got investment in culture now, haven't you? Yeah, I think so. Mm. I think so, and I like that because for me, Keith Lecouges has value. It's all—it's almost like you've had this assistance of control to get to a place where you understand things. Yeah. But now you've understood things, you can afford to let it go a little bit. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Now you've got the structures and now you've got an understanding and you've worked that out. You don't need to keep working things out. Correct. It's, all, it's automated. Yeah. Yeah, all made. It's just that automation, which, which again, people say business has value when the owner can step out and can keep ticking. Mm. And that's ideally what I would love to think, that is that Keithley Cougars, for me, have been up and down all over the shop for a number of years. I love to think that I could leave and the team would keep going. Yeah. yeah. And I love to think that Maguire started Wigan and Sean Wayne took over. Mm. Sure, and there was a slight dip, but now Matty Pete's got him going. Yeah. Do you want to love that? Like, I'd hate to think something would happen like happened at Leeds. Mm. Do you know what I mean? That someone walks out the building and the whole organisation yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I think what a, what a lot of sacrifice by the volunteers and the people involved in the organisation for something like that to happen. We happened at Bradford, didn't it? We had the legacy. Yeah. We had the Brian Smith legacy. Yeah. And it just died out. It yeah. just ran out. It ran out. Completely it ran out the road. Mm. Yeah. Tell us about Moagoro quickly. Tell us about the story with Mo. Which one? Oh, okay. Yeah. 
So again, so we talk about categorizing people and, and understanding, and obviously, whether categorizing people is the right term, um, I, I don't know. But for me, obviously, with the way I think, it helps me understand how they need to work. So like, I always call people butt players, okay? And you've got to be careful with that context, you know what I mean? But people always describe someone as, oh, he's a good player, but. Yeah. In what I find really interesting is that everyone forgets what you said before, but. And they only focus on the bit afterwards. Everything before the but is, ends up being bullshit. Yeah. It? Yeah. I mean, so yeah. you, he's a good player, but he can't catch. And all people remember is he can't catch. Mm. And oh, he's a good player, but he's weird. Why is he weird? Well, why don't you ask him why is he a good player? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's real. And it's just, again, observationally, since I don't really buy into a whole heap of stuff, I just like asking questions. I'm just looking at this and I think, well, imagine if I could fix the but. So I look for people that think, well, because we're in League One, or we were, we're in Championship now, but at the time we're in League One, I think, well, heck, hang on, we, we haven't got a huge budget. I wonder if I could fix, do you mean, or, or understand what's wrong with some of these people. Sometimes mm -hmm. it is pretty simple to fix stuff, do you mean, or sometimes there's nothing wrong, it's just an interpretation thing. So with Mal Gora, for example, amazing athlete, great human being, super strong, can't get in a team consistently because he can't catch. I mean, oh, why'd you sign in for? He's super league-level player, but he can't catch. So I'd be, well, I'll teach him. Not rocket science. So when the kid can run, he can do a power clean, he can do everything else. If he can already mechanically do other things, it's just another mechanical movement. This will be easy. So long story short, trying to teach me, I think this kid's not learning. <laughs> I think he's a terrible coach. But I was watching with how he was moving his hands. I was thinking, something going on here. And then I never forgot we played Batley on a night game and he must have dropped seven balls. Honestly, it was, it was awful for him. Dropped seven balls in a friendly, not like in a post session. And he ended up, we ended up getting his eyes tested. He had cataracts. That's <laughs> bonkers. God knows how long he's had cataracts for. Yeah. I'm assuming for as long as he's been dropping balls. Yeah. Got him fixed. Best player in the comp. Weapon. 20, 29 tries in 22 games. Can't catch. You know, can, catches everything. Finishes one hand into the corner. Um, yeah. Caught a ball, two hands over his head to score, score a bomb. He's a legend, Mo, as well. I yeah. played with him in 20s. Proper sound lad. Yeah. Hard working. Do anything for you as yeah. well. So you've got a good lad there. Yeah. Simple stuff. It's the theory of Occam's razor that once we've got rid of everything else that it, it can't be. Yeah. The most simple explanation must be true. Yeah. Which is, you know, if you can't see, you can't catch. Yeah. This is not an attitude thing. This is not a laziness thing. This is not a uh, an inability thing. Yeah. This is the thing that I want to do but can't access. How do I access it? It's yeah. a simple thing. And yeah. You've just gone down a simple path. Yeah. And, and again, it, it's solved by the simplest question in the world. Why? Yeah. And no one asks why. Do you mean like people say people are lazy, aren't they? Oh, people crazy. just see the concept and they think that that's the thing, right? They do, all right, move on to the next thing. Yeah. Now. What's the next problem? Well, hold on. Yeah. Break it down. I think that's where, you know, we're talking about meditation and stuff and that's sort of another time, but we do live by concepts. And if those concepts that we live by fucking make you feel shit or don't allow you to work things out, yeah. then look at what the fucking concept is yeah. you know yeah and break it down yeah yeah, yeah, no. yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting like like so we do that and then we go okay well we can't do that for every male ball, right? why well it's too much work okay so we'll get more coaches you can't have more coaches why too many cooks spoil the broth no give me something that's measurable oh lee tried it lee tried what yeah do you know oh, well they had too many coaches had too many ideas so but i like ideas yeah, but there's still too many coaches. It's still wrong. You can't it's do it. Wrong. And then before you know it, people, they circle back. 
Yeah, they run out of rope. And it ends up, they end yeah. up coming back to a loop of, and, and, and for me, I always arc asking why until you get to something that's measurable. People talk, just people just talk shit. Yeah. They just talk like about something they've heard and it fits their sort of demographic and think this is how I should think and this yeah. is how I should talk and this is what I should believe. You know, and that's why I love watching James O'Brien. I know I mentioned to him last time, but people ring him and they, for love the money, this, this staying put with conservative and the thing, that's the best thing ever. And think, this is what we need. We need Boris Johnson because he's someone who's tough and he can make decisions. And then for instance, they're like, well, what decisions he made? Well, you know, he, he's, he's managing Brexit now and it, but what's he doing? Uh, I don't know, but I just, we can't be socialists. We can't go back to being socialists. Well, what's socialist? And they're like, you know, what's, everyone knows what's social, well, what is it? Yeah. Be talking about it. What are you fucking talking about? But also, would you like a free NHS? Yes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we need the NHS. Yeah. Well, what the fuck are you talking, what is it you're actually, you're just talking about nothing? Yeah. About the, about this, the, the concept about this, this, invisible billboard that yeah. no one knows what the fuck it is yeah there's a there's a social construct for, uh, not social construct there's a, there's a social graph for this you may, you may come across it. it's called the dunning-kruger effect yeah the peak amount stupid yeah the peak stupid where the 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 vertices is confidence yeah. and the peak amount stupid value to spare path of enlightenment yeah the the, the the indices is competence and how people value within society being seen as knowing yeah. Being, yeah. being as being confident in their views, being absolutely stuck on their views and they'll die on that hill. And yeah. the thing it goes up high, doesn't it? Yeah. It goes up high and the top of that is called Mount Stupid. Yeah. And the, a lot of the time what we have to do is when we're in receipt of new facts, what we have to do is be prepared to put down what we think we know mm. to become competent in in what is to be known. Mm, yeah. And so many people will not exchange that faux expertise of or being seen as right this is how we've always done it yeah. i used to work in local government some of the some of the most whelk like stuck to their guns kind of people and now if you were in change management with the local government as i were you were about as popular as a fight in a lift <laughs> like you were genuinely not popular because you're coming on and said why do you do it that way well we've always done it that way ah this is how we do it yeah no this is how you've done it yeah and i can show you lots of reasons why this is not working yeah one of them being your very fragile approach to change and not knowing yeah are you willing to exchange what you don't know for a level of competence that goes far beyond your full confidence? Yeah. And the answer is often no. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people fabricate their environment saying they, that they're good at. Yeah. But I know there's at Simon Sinek, I was watching something on Simon Sinek the other day and he was, I don't know if the stats are exactly right, but he said something like a survey, 88% of drivers said they're in the top 10% of drivers. <laughs> <laughs> well, Based on what? Yeah. Do you, remember this one people just, do you think you're top 10? Yeah. I'm a good driver. Yeah. How'd yeah. you know? They don't give you anything to measure. And I find it interesting. And I do think it's changing. Like, look what Brown's done at Leeds. Mm. Look what Matty Pete's done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the fact that Lee Breeze has been poached by Brisbane Broncos. Mm. And I think I think that there's there's the, it is it is the tide's turning. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, yeah. I, I think I think people are understanding that a little bit more of the that the difference between a manager and a coach. Mm. And a manager's it's just there to, to manage teams. Do you remember? But a coach is there to coach, is there to yeah. teach. Do you mean it's there to, to in part information that wasn't previously known. Yeah. And let them figure it out. Correct. And I think that's really, I think that process is massively underrated. Yeah, man. Class. This has been epic. Loved yes. it. Loved it. Absolutely. It's been a great chat. Yeah, thank you for coming on, Reese. John, thank you for imparting your wisdom, my friend. Um, that's the Mantale podcast. John is a Mantale counselor. 
we have Lee Jewett as well, who you'll know, Reese, the mentality counselor team. And it's all about, we're just talking about literally thinking you're right. But sometimes you can think you're right if it's doing you harm or if it's negatively affecting you. So it's an opportunity, get in touch with mentality, get in touch with our team. If you are someone who wants to think better and work yourself out more and allow yourself to get to a position like Reese has after doing the work and not just living a better life for yourself, but for other people. So thank you very much for listening. Legends, and I appreciate you being on the other side of the phone or whatever you are listening to this on. All the best.